Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Morning, everyone. Here we are. We made it. Everybody got up. Everybody we woke here. up. We're all awake. Is this rehearsal or is this real? No, it's real. It's real. It's a real thing. Is it real? You guys ready? I think we're ready. <laughs> I'm Don Lemon alongside Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins. It is November 1st and welcome to our very first show. We hope you enjoy. You're going to learn a lot about us and get a lot of news, right? A lot of news. And can I tell you all, obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just moved here. You know the yes. details of my move. There was a Halloween parade outside my apartment last night. <laughs> we got the text. It went until like 10 p.m. Yeah. Yes. Blaring music. Yes. All of this stuff as I was trying to go to sleep early, like first day of school feeling. So Caitlin's, Caitlin's texting Six. us. You got six. You hours. got six. And you? Caitlin's texting us. I'm like, "Welcome to New York, girlfriend. <laughs> Get used to it." Me, like, I got my kids got home for trick, from trick or treating super late. My husband's yeah. like, "Why aren't you asleep?" And I was like, "This is my new life, babe." This is life. I got probably two hours sleep. No. And I woke up at we work on this. and I could not go back to sleep. Also, my friends threw like a little dinner party celebration last night. Like eight of us maybe 10 of us, and they kept trying to give me wine. I was like, I got to go. I think go. you I need new go. friends. Yeah. We're going to go to dinner oh, at 6 p.m. I have two new friends. Oh. Right? Absolutely. So I'm so happy to be here. We're going to get to the news. Yeah. You're going to hear more about us a little bit later on. There's a lot to get to this morning, including a potential game changer in Russia's war on Ukraine from Iran. We are live at the State Department this morning. New revelations this morning of a politically motivated plot by the intruder accused of attacking Nancy Pelosi's husband, And these facts refute all of the conspiracy theories around that attack. We also have a new interview with Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman. His answers on whether he regrets participating in that debate with Mehmet Oz. It updates on his health heading into the final days of the race. Don interviewed him, so obviously, as we know, no question was off limits. Yeah, can't wait to get to that. We have a lot to get to, as I said this morning. We're going to begin, though, with a brand new CNN reporting on a major escalation in Russia's war in Ukraine. We are learning that Iran is preparing to send 1,000 new weapons to Vladimir Putin, including surface-to-surface short-range ballistic missiles and more attack drones. U.S. intelligence agencies monitoring Iran's support for Russia very closely. Straight to CNN's Kali Atwood, live at the State Department for us this morning. Kali, good morning. This would be the first time Iran is sending advanced precision-guided missiles to Russia. How significant is this escalation? Yeah, that's right, Don. This would be the first time that these advanced weapons would be, would be going from Iran to Russia. And it's significant because of just how advanced these weapons are. First of all, they're hard to detect and they are able to hit at precision targets. So they're not just the drones that we have already seen Iran send to Russia in recent weeks that have been used to deadly effect on the battlefield. These are much more advanced weaponry. Now, we know that the Biden administration has been watching for Iran to send potentially more weaponry to Russia with the Secretary of State saying just last week that the Biden administration is doing everything that they can do to try and break up these networks to prevent further shipments from of Iranian weapons to the battlefield for Russia to use in the war in Ukraine. Kylie, here's a concern that that these weapons from Iran, it's going to change the course of Russia's war on Ukraine. 
Do we know how the Biden administration and NATO might respond to this? Yeah, well, what we would expect would be definitely sanctions, right? The Biden administration doesn't like to get ahead of what those sanctions would look like, but the Secretary of State has already said that they are looking at sanctions that we would be put in place if further weaponry were sent from Iran to Russia. What they would do is they would go after those who are manufacturing these weapons or shipping these weapons, of course, to try and prevent further weaponry from going from Iran to Russia. But it's also important, guys, to note that the fact that Russia is turning to Iran for these weapons does demonstrate just how they are doing in this war right now. They don't have necessarily all the weaponry mm -hmm. that they want on their own to try and continue fighting this war. CNN's Kaliat at the State Department, thank you very much. And of course, CNN is on the ground in the region. We're going to join Closer Ward in just a little bit live from Ukraine. She is standing by in a central city where a Russian missile hit an industrial enterprise. What she's seeing on the ground as Iran prepares to send more weapons. Poppy? So we'll get to Clarissa on the ground in a moment, but now more chilling details on that violent attack on Paul Pelosi, including the suspect's plan to hold the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi hostage and to break her kneecaps. That is what he told authorities. This suspect is now charged with a litany of state and federal crimes, including attempted murder and attempted kidnapping. He is expected in court in just a few hours for his arraignment. Let's go to our colleague Josh Campbell. He's live in San Francisco. I mean, Josh, the details of this are so chilling. I would also note every single fact from the DA to the police chief uh, debunk all the conspiracy theories around this. That's right. The more we're learning about this, we're learning that this was a suspect who allegedly conducted a politically motivated attack. As you mentioned, he has now been criminally uh, charged. And in looking through court records, we're getting chilling new details, including this alleged confession the suspect made to investigators about his desire to harm the Speaker of the House to send a message to other members of Congress. I am here today to formally announce charges against Mr. David DePap in connection with the violent attack on Mr. Pelosi. The San Francisco District Attorney charging the man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The charges that we are filing today include attempted murder, residential burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, false imprisonment of an elder, as well as threats to a public official and their family. Those are state charges. The Justice Department earlier charged DePap with two federal crimes, attempted kidnapping of a U.S. official, Nancy Pelosi, and assaulting a U.S. official's immediate family member. Authorities say the suspect brought two hammers, zip ties, rope, and a roll of tape with them to the Pelosi residence. San Francisco's district attorney now offering a chilling timeline about Paul Pelosi's face-to-face -face encounter with the alleged attacker starting with the defendant allegedly breaking into the home through a rear glass door before finding Mr. Pelosi sleeping on the second floor. The DA saying the suspect woke Pelosi up and forced him out of bed. Mr. Pelosi attempted to get to an elevator in the home to reach a phone. DePap allegedly blocked him. Pelosi eventually asked the suspect to let him use the bathroom, where he called 911 from his cell phone. Two minutes after that call, police arrived. When they opened the door, they saw this. The defendant was holding his hammer, which Mr. Pelosi appeared to be attempting to control by holding a portion of that hammer. The defendant then pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently struck him in the top of his head. Authorities debunking right-wing conspiracy theories about Pelosi's attack, including that he knew the assailant. 
and making the suspect's motive crystal clear. There is absolutely no evidence that Mr. Pelosi knew this man. As a matter of fact, the evidence indicates the exact opposite. It appears as though this was based on his statements um, and comments that were made in that house during his encounter with Mr. Pelosi that this was politically motivated. The FBI's criminal complaint revealing the suspect told San Francisco police of his plans to hold Nancy Pelosi hostage and speak with her. He explained if she lied to him, he planned to break her kneecaps so she would have to be wheeled into Congress. Telling police that scene would demonstrate to other members of Congress there were consequences to their actions. Wow. Unbelievable. Josh, I mean, critically also is how is Paul Pelosi doing? Do we have an update from the House Speaker? We do. He remains in intensive care at this hour, recovering from those very serious injuries. Speaker Pelosi issued a statement last night. I'll read part of it. She says, since the horrific attack on Paul early Friday, we have been deluged with thousands of messages conveying concern, prayers and warm wishes. She says we are most grateful. She goes on to thank the staff at the local trauma center. She says Paul is making steady progress on what will be a long recovery process. Our family thanks everyone for their kindness. And of course, it's so important to point out that as this family continues to deal with this traumatic experience, there are still people out there, many of them with large political followings that have been making light and have been making fun of the brutal assault of an 82-year-old man. Of course, that comes as federal law enforcement continues to warn that in this era of heated political rhetoric, more violence could be forthcoming. Bobby. The numbers certainly show it. The increase is staggering in just the last five years. Josh, thank you very much for that reporting from San Francisco. Well, and as Josh was just noting, there are people who are mocking this, despite yeah. the serious nature of these charges and the details that we're learning about this. One of those is the Republican candidate for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake, who last night uh, saw this as a laughing matter, essentially. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. <laughs> but... You see the moderator there laughing as well, covering his face. Joining us now to discuss this is CNN correspondent Audie Cornish. Audie, thanks for joining us on our first morning. Good morning, good morning. We are learning so many new details about this attack and how it unfolded and how really this person was plotting to go into Speaker Pelosi's home. What do you make of it when you see something like what Carrie Lake, how she treats it there? You know, I'm actually struck by the fact that law enforcement had to um, really underscore the facts of the case, right? Because they're aware that they have to refute whatever growing storm there is on social media. And it really distills the challenges that we have, right, as journalists, which is that even if you can have the words of the defendant, right, like um, in court documents, somehow all of that in this sort of post-factual environment is subject to debate, subject to discussion and subject to speculation and unfortunately subject to uh, amusement. And when it comes to Carrie Lake, I have to be honest, the thing that worries me most is the audience laughter, not the comment. Um, that's on all of us. And you if know, you look at, we have the video of, if you could just run the video again, you don't have to play the soundbite. The, as you're right, the, the man sitting next to her, the, it's moderator. Like, the moderator, is just belly laughing because he thinks that something like that is funny and the audience is, is, is laughing as well. But listen, there have been, there, there he is right there once she says it, you, yeah, you'll see the guy there. But here's the thing. Um, there have been some Republicans who have spoken out, um, you, you, Mitch McConnell and, and others, McCarthy. But for the most part, it's been very muted. And the people who are saying things like Don Jr. tweeting stuff that I don't even don't put even put up the video of it. 
it is awful what they're doing, you know, underwear and the hammer and, you know, then saying this is open carry. Why aren't there more Republicans who are adamantly speaking out against this? You know, that's been the question probably for the last two to three to four years. I think the issue is constituency. If there has been a, a radical shift in the base and what appeals to them, you're going to see people basically playing to the crowd. There are votes for this. There is support for this. And this is some of the stuff I think people um, really need to kind of ask themselves, right? It's not just on the politicians. I think in a way they're sort of feeding a beast. Yeah, and it's not just people that you're seeing running for office. It's other people who hold really powerful positions. Elon Musk obviously is yeah. in the middle of taking over yeah. Twitter and what that's going to look like. And, he and already of, tweeted something, And he right? was one of the that people he who to take it down. Yeah. He yeah. suggested there was more to this story, basically feeding into these conspiracies, even though they've been refuted by these officials who are, are working on this case. And this gets to your point earlier, Don. You know, if you have people in positions of power, and Elon Musk in this point has established himself as a media elite, right, in, in doing this takeover, um, they are amplifying and spreading speculation and entertaining it. And if people in positions of power and status are doing that, well, then you at home are like, well, yeah, maybe I should think about X, Y, and Z. You but know, they're that spreading, is part of the problem. They're spreading the same the, a conspiracy theory that came from a conspiracy theorist, right, about Hillary Clinton and that she's actually not alive and that there's a body double. And that's where this conspiracy theory about Paul Pelosi came from. And, and, and then they're amplifying it and then laughing about it. It's, and it comes into the mainstream. To the mainstream, like the yeah. pizza gate, you know? Right. So I think the thing to think about is it's an ecosystem that has metastasized, right? It started off a small thing. Hey, that seems kind of weird. And now we're in a scenario where you actually have to assume, no matter what the news story is, it could be a mass shooting, as we've learned. Um, he, there is a, a body of people who can spread a good amount of disinformation, speculation, and really rile people up. And it kind of just speaks to the nature of, of dehumanizing politicians that we yeah. see. Audie Cornish, thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks for having me. Good to see you. Audie's going to be a regular with us. We Friend hope of the show. Friend back, of the right? show. It's like Maria on Sesame Street. I'm just kind of <laughs> <But> show. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Wake up early, drink your coffee. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much. Coffee's on us. Yeah. Up next, we have Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman, who is joining us. It is an interview you are not going to want to miss. He talks about whether or not he would debate Mehmet Oz if he could do it all over again and his message to voters who are worried about his health in the closing days of this race. Plus, one-on-one -on -one with Governor Brian Kemp. See what happened when our very own Caitlin Collins went to Georgia and asked him about Herschel Walker. You're watching CNN this morning where there is a big sigh of relief in the room because we got through the first block of the show. 13, 13 minutes. 13 minutes. We got a few more to go. We'll be right back. Woo! Nice A-block guy. good when you get to the first commercial. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Hey. Nothing Hey, Annie, quick question for you. The Democrats have deployed Obama on the campaign trail. Tell me you're nervous about the midterms without telling me you're nervous about the midterms. I have to admit that sometimes going out on the campaign trail, feels a little harder than it's used to. Not just because I'm older and grayer. I'm not going to tell Michelle you said that. Although Michelle does agree. I would like to point out, that is two things the 45th president will never have, a crowd shouting how hot he is and a wife who agrees. 
That's the one difference between Obama and Biden. When Obama's on stage, people are like, he is fine. And when Biden's on stage, people are like, he's fine. Fine. <laughs> that was my first time seeing almost all those except the Obama clip made my weekend. Yeah. Like, made my... But I didn't see it because, you know, it was my young producer who's good on Twitter. Who I wasn't quite sure what she said. I thought she said, you're fine as a... Uh, but I it's think in mug. censored. Yeah. But I, I think you might be right. I thought she, she said. He loved it so much yeah. he wanted to hear it again. It yeah. does speak to, though, what these final few days look like yeah. for Democrats. Yeah. They are concerned, clearly. They are having Obama come out. He's going oh, to yeah. multiple states. He's going places that President Biden is not. Yeah, obviously, a reflection. A He's not an office, a reflection of his approval versus President Biden's. But I think it's fair to say Democrats aren't laughing right now. They're very concerned. No, they're not. Oh, they're they're definitely concerned. not. Yeah. So I think we should. We'll get to this. Let's get to it. It's a busy day today again on the campaign trail. Just one week to go until the midterms. Exactly a week. Former President Obama heading to Nevada today after stops in Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin. President Biden stumping in Florida today, a trip that overlaps with former President Obama. Also, Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney is crossing the aisle and she is going to endorse and go on the campaign trail with Michigan Democrat Alyssa Slotkin, who will join us live a little bit later in the show, also with the former vice president, Mike Pence, in Georgia to campaign for Governor Brian Kemp, who will also join us on this show. Yeah, we remember, one week exactly until election Here we go. day. So as the Senate race in Pennsylvania heats up, John Fetterman is facing real questions about his health after his debate performance that had a lot of people talking. Even he admits that. I spoke with him candidly about his chances of winning and his concerns about political violence in America. And I have to note here, we did conduct the interview using closed captioning. So that's why there's a bit of a delay with some of the answers. Watch. Joining me now is Democratic candidate for Senator Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Thank you for joining us, Lieutenant Governor. I really appreciate it. Let me start with the aftermath of the violent attack on the House Speaker's husband at their home. What do the attack and the subsequent conspiracy theories say about the state of our politics right now? Yeah, I, I just, of course, I was appalled by that. And of course, the, the kind of vitriol that is out there in, in uh, the political conversation out in America now is, is astonishing. Um, it's it's un, 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 unconscionable. On Elon Musk pushing conspiracy theories about Paul Pelosi and the attack on him, what is your message to him as he takes over this giant megaphone that is Twitter? Uh, no, I, I, I just am, am really just a, a, about just saying that, that I, I just want to make sure that we use your, your, enormous, your enormous power to, to just make sure that you know, we don't have the kind of uh, platform where we push those kinds of, of theories. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to just say that, you know, given that we have this opportunity, uh, you know, just using using the platform to to, to really be about a, a force of good. Let's turn to your race now. The day after your debate with Dr. Mehmet Oz, you acknowledged that it, it wasn't easy to be up on that stage. You said that yourself a week later. Are you happy you did it? Uh, no, I, I just always understood that it wasn't going to be be easy. I mean, I'm five months into uh, recovery from from that, but I thought it was important that I show up. And 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 I did. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, we did. I think made some important points as well. True. And I think it also, uh, you know, reminded Dr. Oz the fact that that he still believes that you know with the same kind of abortion 
uh, thoughts uh, with Doug Mastriano, who believes that local political leaders uh, are the, the need to be part of the decision between women and their doctors as well. True. Lieutenant Governor, you said the other night at a fundraiser with President Biden that you would um, be better in January. Do you and your doctors think that you will have a full recovery by then? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I do believe that I, I continue to get and feel better and better. Listen, we've heard a little from your doctor, but we haven't heard a lot. You're, you're asking voters to trust you on your word that your health is good without the, the full story. So in the interest of full transparency for the voters, do you think it would help if you let your doctors brief the press before election night? I think we've been pretty transparent. You know, we've we've had our doctors uh, just be very clear that that they're here, that we're able to and, and fit to, to to serve. And from my point, um, uh, you know, we've been also been very transparent in terms of showing up at a debate and very transparent about you know having events in front of thousands and thousands of Pennsylvanians for for, for months. And I was again no, it was no secret that I was going to miss some words. I was going to mush some words together. Uh, and and as we've been very clear in the debate and during during this this interview, I'm, I've been using captioning as well. True, I believe uh, we've been pretty transparent to give all the voters to to make it their their, their choice. And listen, I, I'm asking the question for the voters because then voters may at, may wonder: Is there a reason that you don't want your doctors to take questions? That's why I keep asking this. Oh, I, I just I just believe that we have our doctors uh, just weigh in on that and, and they believe that I'm fit, uh, to, fit, fit to serve. And that's that's a point uh, that was compatible uh, made in, in June and compatible here just in October. And, you know, I cho choose the, uh, you know, my real doctors composed to some of the criticism from like, uh, you know, like a real Dr. Oz uh, that's just trying to weaponized uh, somebody that just you know had a uh, had a, a stroke yeah well listen it leads me to my next question because it which is an important one i believe because you have been dealing with things that a lot of americans deal with have your health issues impacted your approach to policy and and what you would do in washington and, and given has it given you any real insight or new insight i should say into the country's health care system Absolutely. Uh, I've been really connecting with people all across America, uh, excuse me, all across Pennsylvania, uh, actually the America from I've been heard from people from all across that, that have been uh, either inspired or they support uh, that, that uh, I'm, I'm uh, leaning in. And, and uh, I, I think it's made me very empathetic about uh, more than I even thought I was before. But now I'm believing that the kind of health care that saved my life could be the sign health care that it should be for any every American that it's need there to, to save their life. Uh, I believe that health care is a basic fundamental human right. And, and now it's brought to a very, very specific kind of relief to me, you know, having uh, having my crisis that every American should have those same kind of opportunities to have that kind of health care, you know, have it be there. Look, we have more of the Fetterman interview uh, coming up throughout the hours here on CNN and CNN this morning. But just so everyone knows at home, our team has been in touch with Dr. Oz with the Oz campaign uh, numerous times. We put in requests so yeah. far. They have said no. They've declined that. We would love for him to join us in this morning yeah. before election. Any day, any time. It'd be yeah. great to have him. Yeah. This interview yeah. was really interesting, though, because that has been one of the biggest questions since that debate. It's their only debate that they were going to have. 
of whether or not Fetterman should have done it. There were some even Democrats that we had heard from who said they thought maybe he should have not done it. But he was saying there that he basically made the argument that he believed it was better to come out and be transparent. We'll find out if it paid off in about a week. Well, it's interesting. He doesn't believe in the interview. He doesn't believe that it has hurt him. And I don't know if they have internal polling that shows that, but he says that my polling shows that, uh, that having that debate hasn't hurt. But it's interesting. When you talk to people, they say, you know, it's not a big deal. People often say things to people who are doing polling um, that they don't necessarily, it doesn't mean that they're going to vote that way. But I always say that my mother is my one woman focus group. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what'd she say? She said, I was expecting worse having dealt with people who have strokes. I did not think he did badly at all as you know, the, the press has been putting out. She said he thought he did fine. Um, but again, the people of Pennsylvania will decide this. And I have to be quite honest. I didn't have the same reaction as most people. Like most people are like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, Oz is, you know, doing such a great job with him. Dr. Oz, of course, um, is a smart man and did a great job. But I actually thought um, I was expecting worse from Fetterman. Mm-hmm. I was. And I think that people will be more empathetic than we in the media may be letting on to because they have people who have dealt with these issues. Again, that doesn't mean that would, they would vote for him. He is running to be um, a senator, and that's a, you know, and, that's a big job. And this is, look, this is, his health issue is a real issue. It matters. It's, it's sucking up a lot of the oxygen in the conversation. But what I like about your interview that our viewers are going to see ahead you get into some of the really key issues, like yeah. energy, like fracking. A yeah. lot of the issues impress him on them. So You're going to hear about that. that. Yeah. Well, and that's why that's so important, because it's not just about it's know, not. the debate and what yeah. happened there. It's how he would actually How will you vote what, on what the these issues, is right, if you, if you are in the Senate, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, we have much more of that ahead, I know. We also have a wide-ranging conversation with the Georgia Republican governor, Brian Kemp, about the role that he believes his state will play in the midterm elections one week from today. Plus, why people fear change. What? What What are you talking about? That doesn't apply to the three of us at all. (laughs) For instance, how being part of a new way too early morning show can be absolutely frightening. Dr. Sanjay Gupta is here to talk about it. He'll give us some sleep advice. (laughs) Good job on the music, guys. In Georgia, Republican Governor Brian Kemp is leading his bid for re-election against Democrat Stacey Abrams. Kemp famously did not have the support of former President Trump in his primary. Trump predicted he would go down in flames at the ballot box. Today, he will be campaigning with former Vice President Mike Pence, however. I sat down with Kemp to talk about this all-important midterm election, how he sees Trump's role in all of this, and the impact of the other Republican in his state, Herschel Walker, on the ticket. You come to vote with us this afternoon? With one week to go before the midterm elections, more than 1.6 million voters in Georgia have already cast their ballots. It surpassed the level of 2018. It's almost at a presidential election level. It's incredible. Georgia residents turning out in droves in the first election since Governor Brian Kemp signed a new voting bill into law, adding restrictions to absentee voting while expanding early voting in most counties. For them to call it suppressive, the numbers just don't don't play that fact out. We have an opportunity. In the bill earned him fierce criticism from Democrats in Georgia. The voter suppression is alive and well in Georgia. And inside the White House. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. We had a record vote in the primary and we're seeing it right now in the general election. 
But as Kemp makes his final campaign stops, the election drama in his state has centered around the other Republican on the ticket. Kemp is voting for Herschel Walker, but has said little else about the allegations that the GOP Senate candidate has paid for abortions despite publicly opposing the procedure, allegations that Walker has denied. I think people are going to make that clear choice as to who they're going to vote for, not just in the U.S. Senate race, but all the way up and down the ballot. Pressed on whether he views Walker's stance as hypocritical, Kemp sidestepped the matter. I would just tell you to talk to Herschel Walker about his policies on abortion. I'm staying focused on my race and what I can control and trying to help them fight through Joe Biden's inflation. The Republican governor has instead centered his race on the number one issue he hears from voters, inflation. Eggs up 30 percent, milk, chicken up 15, 17 percent, gas prices because of bad domestic energy policy. That's the number one issue. 60 percent of Americans right now are living paycheck to paycheck. As Kemp crisscrosses the state with an economic-driven message, there is a noticeable absence on the campaign trail. The former president has not been in Georgia in a few months. Why do you think that is? I don't know. You'd have to ask him that question. Look, I'm focusing on getting our vote out. Despite former President Trump's best efforts, Kemp prevailed in the primary earlier this year and easily defeated his Trump-backed opponent. And I'm not campaigning on what his record was. You know, I'm campaigning on what I've done in the state. Kemp's victory revealing the limits of Trump's grip on the party and his efforts to unseat those who refused to join his fight to overturn the 2020 election. I don't think in 2020 we did a good job in some of our races of letting people know what we're for, what our record is. Even when you disagree with people, if you stand for something, they have great appreciation for that. Kemp unsuccessfully fought a subpoena to appear before a special grand jury in Atlanta investigating Trump's attempts to undermine the election and now must testify once his election is over. I'll tell him the truth and I'll tell him that I followed the laws and the Constitution of this state. Of course, he and Abrams met again on Sunday night in a debate. They were talking about these early record turnout numbers that they're seeing in Georgia. She said that she believes that people are voting in spite of that election huh. bill that he signed into law, not because of it. And I think one part that's notable is Gabriel Sterling, who, yes. of course, is a top official in the secretary of state's office, who became so notable during Trump's efforts to undermine and overturn the results. Right. He said it was on CNN the other day, voter suppression is just as much a lie as voter frauds. So you're seeing the split between the yeah. Republicans and Democrats. You are. And I mean, Gabe Sterling, as we were talking about in the break, is someone who came out and warned against what all of this violent rhetoric and election denialism would do, would mean people would die. Right. Yeah. And so he said this years ago. The, the, the question now is, when you look at all the heat that Kemp and the rest took from SB202, that bill, What's missed a lot in the conversation is that it, there are restrictions, but it did expand, extend early voting by weeks. And that's what we're seeing play out right now, isn't it? I, I think it's hard to say that there isn't an, an effort for voter suppression, especially when you look at people who have traditionally been sort of pushed out of the, about who of, is of the process who, and, and the access that they have and people trying to cut out on, you know, mm -hmm. souls to the polls and, and all those kinds of things. So I think it's really tough. It depends on what you're looking at. What data you're looking at, mm -hmm. and uh, look, I think it, I think rather than trying to restrict people here and there, I think we should be opening up the voting process as it should be as easy to vote as yeah. possible as it is to get a cup of coffee. There people you go. should be allowed to vote. And to Don's point, I mean, isn't this what Stacey Abrams is saying, Caitlin? That you, you don't know who's pulling, who's getting access. Yeah. 
right? That's been her argument that she's making. Obviously, that was a point of contention between the two of them. I will say one thing, and it's sad that this stands out, but it did stand out in the debate as I watched on Sunday when both candidates were asked if they would accept the results of the election, no matter what they are, they both said yes, that they would. Well, amen. I can't believe we have to celebrate that, but amen. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting right? because a lot of his things were like, well, you, you have to ask the other guy. He's, he is on message, but, but a lot stuff. of it is a dodge. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, don't forget, one week from tonight, CNN's special coverage of the midterm elections will be underway. We begin at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, but Don, Poppy, and I will be going all night long to bring you the results. No pressure. (laughs) This is our new life, folks. Buckle up. (laughs) No pressure. Did you like sleep? Because you're not getting any more of it. (laughs) Two hours last night, maybe three. Straight ahead, four Michigan State football players now suspended. Look at this video for starting a brawl after losing. Why one coach says their punishment won't stop there. What did happen to them? Plus, the new record shattered by Taylor Swift. With my help. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's going to be so good. We're on TV. We have to remember that. (laughs) Thanks for saving me. I forgot to read my line about Taylor Swift. Thanks for saving me, buddy. As you can tell, it is a big day here at CNN. We've got a new show. We've got a new set. We've got a new amazing team You can't see them, but these folks have been working for weeks, weekends, everything. So thank you to the team. What We put all this together ourselves. Don, no. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, 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 no. For some of you uh, used to watching at this time, you've got many new faces. But change is hard, and it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult for us to wake up at 2 a.m. Yes, it does. 2 Uh, a.m.? I have been doing this for decades, not 2 a.m., Uh, Just at a different time, and yet it is a challenge. So we're going to talk about change and helping us understand why it is so hard for our brains. Our chief (laughs) medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, joins us with a... Did you? With his steal, own brain. But did you steal I this? Leave. I heard he you. his own brain. Touch a brain? Is that no? Is, is that, that a carry-on foreboding? or do you have to check that in your life? I, I, I where carried did it you on, get actually. The... It gets some strange looks. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell the viewers where you actually got the brain? I got this brain from the medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is used to teach medical students. <laughs> but now it's going to teach you. But, so you say we're hardwired to resist change? Yeah, th- this, is, this is interesting. We, we, we like to think of ourselves as these nimble, flexible creatures. But in fact, we really don't like change. And you could take it a step further. We often see change as a threat. At least that's the way the brain sort of perceives Mm. change, as a threat. Uh, The emotional centers of our brain tend to get activated. So so let me just show you here if you can see this. Um, The brain, these are the frontal lobes here. This is where all your judgment stuff happens. But back here is the emotional center of your brain. And that is typically where new change is first processed. And it's not comfortable when you have change. It leads to all sorts of things. You feel loss of control uncertainty is the big one. If yeah. you don't feel certainty about things, it changes. Okay, so listen, I'm going to be, I'm weird, you as you know. Me. You've known me for a long time. Oh. <laughs> Look inside your I'm, brain. I <laughs> like change. I, yeah. I actually, I'm excited about this. I, you know, it's a little off-putting. I've got two hours sleep or whatever, but I kind of like change. Some people are, are certainly better at is it Is that weird? Others. No, I think that you can, you can practice becoming better at change. And there's, and there's formulas and, and, and strategies to do that. So as a, as a sort of inherent thing, even kids, when, you know, kids like change. Kids are always experiencing new things. But adults often don't experience new things. When's the last time 
you experience something for the first time. It doesn't happen very often. For yeah. you guys... It did. Well, this morning. The show. Yes, this exactly. morning aside. But yeah. It's yeah. funny because it is something we've all gone through. I mean, two of us have moved. We've all started new yeah. jobs. Don has completely flipped his schedule. One thing I do wonder if when you were looking at this, how does age play a factor and whether or not. <laughs> Why are you asking that? Are, are, are we calling Don older? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> what? Leave me out of this. <laughs> I can't believe that you said you were in eighth grade when he started at CNN. Oh, they put true. that in the ad. They put that when in the we started at CNN. We were literally just doing the math in our head as you know, we were sitting well, there having gosh. coffee. Well, interesting you asked Journalists that doing math, but go on. Because, so. yes, younger people do tend to be better at accepting change, except for Don. Don, who's older and yeah. still does change well. But it, it, there's a part of your brain, again, I'll just show you this quickly, a little bit in front of the emotional center of the brain, which tends to t- deteriorate or slowly wither away over time. That's a part of the brain that's actually better at accepting change, sort of incorporating changes into your life. We become more fixed in our ways as yeah. we get older. Yeah. Hey, and real quickly, though, what can we do? Like, are there things that we can do that will help us do, do change better? I know that's Part of it is, is, is really grammar. understanding that you, you want to do this and actually yeah. incorporating new things into your life. That's, that's one of the big things. There's a famous formula by this guy, Gleischer. It comes from the 60s, and I wrote it down for you guys. You can take Aww. a look. But basically trying to figure out what's... <laughs> That, that's that not looks, exactly what I thought it was going to be. But that looks simple. The, uh, but basically, it's, it's the idea of what... It's too early in the morning for that. God. Period, <laughs> what the hell is that? Just, just how, how, how dissatisfied you are with the current situation, what your vision is for how that situation could be different, and what are the steps of action to make yeah. that change happen. It, that's what you really got to sort of figure out. But it can be simple. Yeah. I'll give you a quick yeah. example. Instead, if you're right-handed all day today... Try Drink. drinking your coffee so, with your left hand. So my, Do something different. My daughter, bro- as we all know, I missed rehearsal last week because my daughter broke her right arm and she's a righty. So I didn't bug you about this one. Sanjay gets all my other <laughs> child health questions. But um, so she's doing everything with her left hand now, including trick-or-treating. And one of our friends said she's so resilient. And I was like, I need to be more like my six-year-old. If, well... I hope she right. does well. She'll be fine. You, but if we can incorporate some change into our lives on a regular basis, yeah. get out of your set patterns, whatever it may be. Take up a hobby. Do something that's yeah. different. That's how you get your brain to, to accept yeah. change. And alcohol hey. helps. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. <laughs> uh, that's an easy thing. Have a couple of drinks and you'll, you're good. <laughs> ah, who cares? It's your excuse. <laughs> We're going to need that advice more than ever. So. I'm going to leave this right here, guys. Leave Sunday. the brain Thank with you. us. Okay, Thanks for visiting us on set on our first day. Of course. All right, we're also going to talk up next about federal agents firing pepper balls at Venezuelan migrants, trying to push them away from that border with El Paso, Texas, and back into Mexico. Stay right here with us, and we'll show you exactly what went down. I'm kidding. That is Taylor Swift shattering records with her latest album, Midnights. You just heard Antihero topping last week's Billboard Hot 100 chart. But that's not her only accomplishment with this album. Data's here. You know who Data is, right? (laughs) Our senior data reporter, Harry Inton, has all the details. Good morning, Annie cleaned up. You got a haircut, you shaved. Got some spiffy clothes You got a sweater. I got a sweater on. I'm taking after you, Don. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. So what's the deal with this? What's the deal with it? I, I should be clear. I don't think I've ever listened to any of these songs. Uh, and right. if it weren't for this morning show, I'd have no idea who Taylor Swift Come would actually on. be. No, I'm kidding a little bit. But all right, let's, take, let's walk over here and let's get an idea of why the heck we're doing this Taylor Swift segment. And I think this first slide will give you an indication. So on the Billboard Top 10 on the Hot 100 list, 
This is the first time, the first time one artist has every single song. Drake actually had nine of the 10 once before, but this is the first time one artist had every single song. But that is not the only record that this, that we've seen this time around. Taylor Swift, look at this, Billboard Top 10 on the Hot 100. The first time women are in all 10 top slots. Harry, yes, Harry. yes. I'm gonna let you finish. You'll let me finish? I'm joking. I know. Knows. Does anybody know that reference? You don't remember that? I'm just joking. I'm gonna let you finish. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Go on, Harry. I don't, I don't think he's, he's allowed to be spoken about anymore. But, okay. And give you an idea of these Hot 100 songs. Look at this. This just sort of gives you an idea. You know, if I was actually interested, then maybe I'd be interested in anti hero, because I like to think of myself as an anti hero. Um, but, Don, I just gotta say, you're on your own, kid, when it comes to the rest of the show. You won't be getting my help for the rest of the time. Enten. Yes. Enten, or Data, as, as Don, Data, as Don has named you. Our buddy is in Taylor's video, Antihero, our buddy comedian Mike Birbiglia. And he was shocked uh, and when he saw her talking about why on the, on the Late Show. Really? Well, really? Do you not know this? No, I, I look, I hang out with Mike down at the Comedy Cellar. The Tonight cellar. Show, yeah. Yes, the Tonight Show, whatever, whatever show it was. I'm not surprised that Mike was in this because if there's one thing that I know will interrupt Don and uh, that would wrap us in a conversation, it would be somebody else who he wants to talk to instead of me. Especially, see, I let you finish. I let you finish. Let Caitlin talked in. about yeah. though how when he when Taylor Swift texted him, he thought maybe he was being catfish. He didn't know that she was actually That's exactly texting. right. He They're playing music yeah. to get us to commercial. Yeah. Harry Anton, thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks, you guys. Harry, later. you look we'll great. Have a thank day. you. Thanks, Harry. Data. Data. Got all cleaned up. Wow. So listen, I got you. Got to look at this. Look at your screens right now. We are watching live pictures out of the Kennedy Space Center. That's where NASA is about to launch the world's largest rocket in a classified mission. Not so classified, I guess. Not, not so classified. Morning, everyone. Here we are, Don Lemon alongside Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins. It is November 1st, and welcome to our very first show. We're so happy that you're waking up with us. We made it through an hour. We, we did. We made it through the first hour, and this is the start of the rest of our lives. And so, how do you feel? <laughs> good. It was a really good first hour. It's, it's not as bad getting up this early as you think it is. Once you it's get through those first few minutes. It's day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's check it with me in like six months from now. We'll see how it happens. It is day one. You doing okay? I'm great. I'm, I'm so happy to be with you guys. I mean, like, it's really, it's this is going to be fun. We never thought this was, none of us ever thought that we'd ever get to actually sit together and do this together yeah. three hours a day. So Yeah, yeah. and what did it happen, happy. like a week ago? And here we, and here we are. Listen, uh, again, you're going to learn a lot more about us. We're going to take you all over the country, from Minnesota to Louisiana to Alabama. Maybe and, to a football game this weekend. Maybe to an LSU-Alabama football game, so stay tuned. The big questions this morning, though. And it's a serious one. Serious ones, I should say. Are lawmakers safe in America? The urgent new concerns after the plot targeting the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Also second, is Russia's invasion of Ukraine about to change dramatically? This is as Iran escalates its involvement. Our Clarissa Ward is on the ground with her reporting live from Ukraine ahead this hour. And third, why is Republican Liz Cheney hitting the campaign trail for a vulnerable Democrat today? We are going to talk to that Democratic lawmaker live. And finally, what is NASA up to, right? SpaceX, what are they up to today? 
You're looking at live pictures now of the world's largest rocket. It's a little foggy there. You can barely make it out, but there it is. That rocket is set to launch for a secret classified mission. But first this morning, disturbing new details into that violent attack on the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, and what prosecutors are calling a politically motivated plot. And according to the FBI, the man accused of beating the 82-year-old with a hammer wanted to hold Nancy Pelosi hostage and, quote, break her kneecaps. The suspect is now facing federal assault and attempted kidnapping charges and a laundry list of state charges, including attempted murder. The San Francisco D.A. describing Mr. Pelosi's desperate attempt to escape. Mr. Pelosi attempted to access the elevator in the home, which has a phone. The defendant then blocked Mr. Pelosi's access to that elevator. It was at some point after that Mr. Pelosi asked to go to the bathroom, which is where he was able to call 911 from his cell phone. The defendant, realizing that Mr. Pelosi had called 911, took Mr. Pelosi downstairs near the front door of the residence. Two police officers arrived at the front door two minutes after that 911 call. When that door was opened, the defendant was holding his hammer, which Mr. Pelosi appeared to be attempting to control by holding a portion of that hammer. The defendant then pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently struck him in the top of his head. So joining us now, CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller. John, good morning to you. Thank you for joining. So listen, prosecutors here really laying out a, a, a timeline here and giving details, reading into that. What are you seeing here? I think we learned three important things yesterday. Number one, uh, the suspect was not there just to hit Paul Pelosi with a hammer. Number two, he had an elaborate plan out of a Stephen King novel mm -hmm. to um, tie up the husband, wait not just hours but days if necessary for Nancy Pelosi to show up, um, to break her knees and the things the prosecutor just laid out. Um, and three, we're going to learn more today mm -hmm. because you're going to have a bail hearing and an arraignment and they're going to have to lay out for the judge why it's important um, not to grant bail. So. They'll have to put details about um, all the other violence in here. The FBI's assessment, not just of, of this attack, but of the tenfold increase that we've seen in threats to lawmakers in just the last five years, is that it is lone actors. It's lone actors like this uh, that believe conspiracy theories and act on them. So from from it, Pizzagate to this, tenfold worse. It's the worst kind of case if you're the FBI. Uh, oh or DHS or the NYPD because um, it's not an organization like an organized crime family where you can dismantle it with a careful case taking out the leadership. Um, the last PPRI survey uh, showed that after President Trump left office, uh, QAnon followers you know, increased from 14% to 17%. So it's not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. Uh, one in four Americans um, uh, surveyed in that believe that there's a storm coming. 18% uh, of them said they believe violence is possible to get this done. So it's an amorphous organization and filled with lone actors, but they're only alone when they're acting. The rest of the time they're in this echo chamber online in these chat rooms and forums 
um, in the forum that Donald the other day, they were talking about why didn't he finish the job? Right. Who's going to yeah. go finish the job? Right. And that this was a false flag operation run by the Democrats to take their guns. And you, you've seen those conspiracies that have been floating around refuted by the facts that have been laid out. I know you've been talking to people who are, are dealing with this investigation. Where's their sense of whether or not this is domestic terrorism? Well, the domestic terrorism piece is defined in law. But if you read the statute he's charged with, um, and then you look, Caitlin, at the statute that defines domestic terrorism, they track almost identically in terms of the requirements to meet that law. So we've got a number of state charges he's being held on. Uh, assault, uh, elder abuse, uh, you know, uh, kidnapping. You've got a number of federal charges, a couple yesterday, but I think we're going to see those expand. The domestic terrorism really? thing is, is going to be a step because it gives it a new definition. But before we let you go, John, I have to say clearly, listen, this is all, all of this is based on lies. These are people who are believing lies. They are being co-opted by people who are lying. And, and thus, thusly so, you are getting a violent act. A person could have lost his life because of political lies. That's what he believed. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard to underestimate the craziness. I can remember more than a year ago showing up at a crime scene in New York City where the acting boss of the Gambino crime family was gunned down. It seemed like a standard mob hit, and when we got to the bottom of it, our suspect was a QAnon guy who said that the mob was working with the deep state in a pedophile ring to control the country. So this is bottomless um, in terms of the irrationality of some of it, and yet it's spreading. John Miller, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks. And John will be joining us a lot more on the program. Thanks, John. Absolutely. All right, speaking of violence, there is a bloody Halloween night on Chicago's west side where a drive-by shooting ended with at least 13 people shot. Among the victims were children, ages 3, 11, and 13. A 14th victim was hit by a car, and the injuries range from non-life-threatening to critical. Investigators believe that some kind of vigil was taking place on the corner where this attack happened, but police this morning are still searching for suspects and trying to figure out what the motive is. My goodness. Every parent's worst nightmare on Halloween. Yeah. All right, it is one week exactly until Election Day. Some big names are hitting the trail today. President Biden will rally in Florida. Former President Obama will be in Nevada. Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney will campaign with a Democrat running for re-election. That is Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan. And the former Vice President Mike Pence will rally with Governor Brian Kemp. In Georgia. I'm exhausted just watching and <laughs> listening to you, Poppy. Well, buckle right up. Now. we got a week <laughs> ahead. Uh, let's head to Philadelphia. Our Jessica Dean joins us now in uh, just somewhat of an important state. Good morning, Jess. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, you guys. Guys, we still got a week. We got a ways to go here. And people are crisscrossing the country, especially here to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. We'll talk about the importance of that in just a moment. Listen, the balance of power for Congress is hanging in the balance. It's up for grabs. As you can imagine, Democrats and Republicans both sending out their highest profile surrogates, their biggest names as they race to the finish line. Candidates in key races are making their final pitch to voters. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And receiving a boost from some big names. Are you ready to go and vote? 
Former President Barack Obama is set to stump for Democrats in Nevada tonight and Arizona tomorrow. Two states critical to the party's path to retain control of the U.S. Senate. Those stops coming after he fired up crowds in Georgia, Wisconsin and Michigan over the weekend, campaigning against Republican candidates like Herschel Walker and Senator Ron Johnson. He's a celebrity who wants to be a politician. And we've seen how that goes. He's not the person who's thinking about you and knows you and sees you. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden heads to Florida today, where he will rally with Senate hopeful Val Demings and the state's Democratic candidate for governor, Charlie Crist. And former Vice President Mike Pence will campaign in Georgia with Governor Brian Kemp, a candidate who's drawn the ire of former President Donald Trump. Another Republican at odds with Trump, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, travels to Michigan today to campaign for a Democrat, Congresswoman Elissa Slotkin. Cheney last week endorsing Slotkin, who's facing a competitive re-election race. Right now, we are seeing record turnouts. Re-election voting is surpassing 2018 levels. More than 21 million ballots have been cast across 46 states, including nearly 2.8 million early ballots in Florida and more than 1.6 million in Georgia. And we are here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Independence Hall right behind me. They like to call it the cradle of democracy. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, a huge state, a lot of focus on this Senate race here. It's an open seat. So Republican Senator Pat Toomey is retiring. The Democrats, of course, want to pick this seat up as they hope to retain control of the Senate. Uh, and Republicans hoping to keep this seat. Don, I know you had that interview with John Fetterman earlier in the show. He's running again against Mehmet Oz. And just to underscore how important Pennsylvania is in the coming days, we are going to see Joe Biden, the president, coming back here with former President Barack Obama. They're going to be in Philadelphia. Uh, Obama is also going to Pittsburgh. We're also mm -hmm. going to see former President Donald Trump coming to Pennsylvania. Uh, they're all going to be here in this final weekend before the election. Yeah. Much more of Don's great yeah. interview. Much more of that. Just a little bit. Yeah, just yeah. a couple minutes away here. Jess, thanks for getting up early with us. We appreciate it. All right. It's not just former presidents. President Biden is also on the campaign trail today, ramping up his appearances. He's going to be in Florida today. And MJ Lee is joining us now from the White House. MJ, what are we expecting from President Biden today? Hey, good to see you, Caitlin, and congrats to you and the whole team on the launch this morning. Uh, look, Florida is a state where Democrats and President Biden and his team uh, believe that the contrast that they want to paint between Democrats and these so-called MAGA Republicans can really stick and resonate. Case in point, I spoke with Charlie Crist yesterday. Uh, he is, of course, running against uh, Governor uh, Ron DeSantis in the state. And he said, look, when President Biden comes down to Florida today, he really hopes and expects that he will go after DeSantis hard on the issue of abortion rights. He said that is going to be very, very helpful for me in my race because it is a number one issue. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, this goes to show, is sort of a poster child for Democrats when it comes to sort of trying to paint uh, Republicans as having extremist policies. Now, uh, you talk to any Biden advisor and they will say, look, we are focused on the midterms. We are not thinking yet about 2024 in a serious way. But yes, there is a universe where in 2024 there is a Biden versus DeSantis race. So we could also get just a little bit of a preview of what Democrats, what President Biden, uh, what they see as some of his biggest political vulnerabilities today. A big issue, but obviously what we've seen Republicans pushing is this economic driven message. And 
President Biden yesterday had this abruptly scheduled remarks where he went after oil companies talking about the profits they're making. This is what he told reporters. Oil companies, record profits today are not because they're doing something new or innovative. Their profits are a windfall of war. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest of its executives and shareholders. Now, MJ, he's issuing these warnings to these companies. Of course, he's going to need the consent of Congress to get a lot of this done. But, but what is the driving factor behind this messaging from President Biden? Yeah, the driving factor is uh, gas prices. You know, for a big part of the year, as the White House has dealt with high gas prices, the president has come back to this issue over and over again. The idea of oil companies and energy companies uh, making these record profits, uh, the idea just being that it is just not fair. It is not right for these companies to have record profits when people are really suffering from these high prices. Uh, but you make a really important point. Uh, some of these ideas that are being thrown about, uh, taxing corporate uh, profits or other sort of punishments for these companies, they're just not realistic right now in Congress, given the makeup of Congress. But it just goes to show that this is a lot more political messaging. And the president in the final stretch trying to talk about an issue that he knows is very important for voters and in some ways try to deflect the blame a little bit, too. Yeah. But yeah. you cannot ignore those big profits when Americans are complaining about gas prices. They are going down, well, but I mean, so billions. What and President billions Biden said is that if the gas, if they passed on those profits to the people who are actually paying right. for gas, it'd be gas prices would be down yeah. about 50 cents. MJ Lee, thank you for joining us from the White House. Thank you, MJ. So let's you brought up those numbers. Let's look at these numbers. OK, so BP, big oil company, just in this morning was stronger than expected record. Uh, not record, but really big numbers for BP uh, overnight in the quarter, raking in eight point two billion dollars. Other big oil companies strong, even some record breaking profits here. Look at Exxon Mobil, 18.7 billion in the quarter. Chevron, 10.8 billion. Shell, nine and a half billion. I spoke, guys, just, you know, a few weeks ago to the CEO of Chevron, uh, Mike Worth, and I asked him exactly about this criticism from the Biden administration, because remember, he wrote that open letter to Biden and he really vocally went after the administration for some of the things they're saying about big oil. Yeah. Here's what he said about exactly what the president proposed yesterday. Here that was. Let me read you from Senator Ron Wyden, who chairs the Senate Finance Committee, quote, big oil companies are raking in record profits, rewarding their CEOs and wealthy shareholders with massive stock buybacks and using special loopholes and tax codes to pay next to nothing in taxes. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. Windfall profits taxes have been tried before in this country. They didn't achieve uh, the goal that was desired. It's, it, it is pretty basic that if you want uh, more of something, uh, you tend not to tax it. If you want less of something, you, you put taxes on it. That you would make you smoking, produce you, less, you're saying. If, if you tax uh, our industry, it does not incentivize investment. If you increase taxes on our industry, that does not incentivize investment. It discourages investment. Uh, and that's a, it's a simple economic truth. We work around the world, and our capital is mobile. And so uh, a windfall profits tax in one country is likely to move that investment somewhere else. Remember, guys? Well... I wasn't even born yet. Caitlin definitely wasn't born. But in 1980, they did a windfall profit tax for eight years. It didn't work. Yeah. Maybe different this time. Didn't no. work. Congress repealed it. The idea that Congress is going to pass that is really far-fetched, I think. Yeah, listen, it, that's, it's a tough argument to sell to the American people, again, when they're struggling and you're making totally. $18 billion in profit. And a lot of share buybacks, billions in share buybacks, which is not the same 
yeah. as the money going to most Americans. But speaking of the economy, pocketbook issues, as we've be, just been saying, will likely play a major factor in the key Pennsylvania Senate race between Democrat John Fetterman and Republican Mehmet Oz. And I had the, a, a candid conversation, really, with Fetterman about why he changed his position on fracking and what he wants President Biden to do to address inflation. And I have to note that we did conduct this interview using closed caption technology. I want to play this moment now from your debate last week about fracking, and then we'll talk about it later. Here it is. Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. So just a context here. In 2018, when running for lieutenant governor, you said, I don't support fracking at all, and I never have. So to be clear, Lieutenant Governor, do you support fracking now? Yeah, uh, no, the, 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 all, of the, all of the reservations that I had with fracking were all about the environmental concerns. And Pennsylvania passed some of the strongest envir environmental regulations, uh, and that is now, you know, means that 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 you know, I've been very supportive about fracking because uh, energy independence is critical, uh, and that gets more and more important, you know, given in light of the the Ukraine war, uh, to make sure that we can't be uh, at a hostage to a nation like like Russia. Um, again, it's it's all it was all about the environmental uh, issues. And again, after the regulations passed, uh, it's it's a no brainer to support fracking. And I've been been very so a strong supporter of, of fracking. So listen, and, but my it, correct me if I'm wrong. My research shows that environmental protections, those environmental protections, were put in place in 2016. So what has changed since since 2018 when you said that you didn't support it? Yeah, no, they, 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 they were all part of, of, of that. And I also want to point out that in 2017, um, I was actually very supportive of fracking directly across the street from where I live as well, too. I've never taken any, any money from the industry. And I believe it's, uh, you know, I've always believed that it's, it's a very environmental uh, concerns. And it's also very critical from uh, uh, energy independence as, as well. And it's it's part of supporting fracking. And now that we are doing it in a more uh, or in a stronger environmental kinds of, of regulations. So, Lieutenant Governor, Pennsylvania is a state where votes may take days to count. That's because mail in ballots can't be processed until Election Day. Are you prepared to wait for an outcome in your race? I mean, you're going to be patient and wait for an outcome in your race? Uh, absolutely. I, the uh, Empire, uh, the the the, uh, the, the uh, Pennsylvania's elections uh, are secure, and I absolutely su support uh, whatever the outcome is. If you do win, what is your top priority in the Senate? What would be the first bill of yours that you'd want to get passed, sir? Oh. You know, I, I, there's a lot of things that I think are important, but I'm much more focused on just running through the tape, you know, over the next eight days. Uh, I've been running on things that are always going to come down on the side of, of working families here in Pennsylvania. There's just a lot of great choices. But uh, to me, it's about, you know, making sure we, we run through the end uh, of the last eight days. Understood. So well, an issue that I, think I know is important to everyone, the economy now. The economy is improving. Gas prices are down. GDP is up. But there are still concerns about inflation and the possibility of a recession. As a senator, what would you ask the Biden administration to do to improve things for the people of your state, of Pennsylvania? 
Yeah. No, I, I, I just believe that we always have to be very you know, actively coming back against corporate greed and price gouging as well true and always want to keep making more and more in pennsylvania and in america as well true dr oz for all of his merchandise was all manufactured in china uh, during his his career and i again believe that those are, are very critical as a nation that we make sure we come down on the side of of of, uh, of workers well let's talk about inflation because that's a big concern for voters what do you think the biggest cause of inflation is and should the biden administration be doing more no, I, I just do. I, I think that uh, that simply is also we have this talk about the trillions in, in massive tax uh, tax uh, cuts to the corporate uh, tax uh, structure as well. True, you know, trillions of dollars that have added to the deficit, and and now they still want to support those as well. True, I think in terms of being very serious about uh, addressing inflation is is making sure that those rates are brought back into a line with what they they should have been. Uh, where they're able to uh, fight uh, the, the, the deficit. Uh, a couple of things to point out here. He did clarify, you know, what happened with fracking uh, in the debate and his stance on fracking. We conducted the interview using closed captioning. Uh, and also, we have reached out to the Oz campaign multiple times, yep. and they are welcome to come on before yep. Election Day, uh, and we welcome them to come on so they can take questions as well. And also, don't forget, one week from tonight's in and special coverage of the midterm elections are going to begin at 4 p.m. and go all night. You'll be seeing a lot of us on election <laughs> night. Many hours. Yeah. Many hours. All right. New video this morning. What it shows is Border Patrol agents firing pepper ball projectiles at a group of Venezuelan migrants. You see them here trying to uh, trying to push them back from Texas back into Mexico. The ACLU and Texas civil rights groups are uh, condemning this action this morning. Our Rosa Flores, uh, who has done just extensive reporting, Rosa, uh, on the border. What can you tell us about this? Well, Poppy, it's very early in the investigation. We have a lot of questions, but here's what we do know, according to Customs and Border Protection. They say that about noon El Paso time yesterday, there's a group of Venezuelan nationals who are attempting to enter the United States, um, all, all while they were protesting on the Rio Grande in the area near downtown El Paso when the situation escalated. According to CBP, one protester allegedly assaulted an agent with a flagpole and then another protester allegedly threw a rock at an agent um, injuring that agent. And at that point, according to Customs and Border Protection, agents use pepper ball guns, which are used for crowd control, to disperse the crowd and those Venezuelan nationals and others returned back to Mexico. And Poppy, all of this is under investigation by the Office of Professional Responsibility. But as you mentioned, yeah. civil rights groups here in Texas are issuing statements, very alarmed by mm -hmm. what this video that has been captured and has been shared on social media shows, which indeed shows that um, agents were using those pepper ball guns on migrants. I think it's also notable, and Rosie, you know this uh, about this better than anyone, that this comes just as the Biden administration has changed its policy, right? We talk a lot about something called Title 42. They've changed just overall their policy as it pertains to those Venezuelan migrants. Can you explain for the viewer why that matters so much here? And, you know, and there's a connection, Poppy, and you're absolutely right, because the Biden administration expanded the Trump era uh, pandemic public health order known as Title 42, which in essence 
allows for the swift expulsion of migrants to Mexico, and the Biden administration is applying it broadly to Venezuelans. Right. And so since the change in policy uh, at about mid-October, um, thousands of Venezuelans have been returned back to Mexico. And, you know, I'm in contact with organizations all along the border. They say that hundreds of them are there in Juarez, which is across the border from El Paso, which, all, which is where all of this went down. Rosa, thank Poppy. you for your continued reporting on the border to you and your team. Ahead, we're going to take you to Ukraine. Our colleague Clarissa Ward is on the ground with her new reporting on Iran's significant involvement here helping Russia in this war. Yeah, it's potentially game-changing. CNN is also on the trail and in the battleground states this morning where races are tightening with one week out before the elections. And you said Mandela Barnes has turned on America. Why do you think this race is so close? Well, it's Wisconsin, first of all. What is your reaction? Well, Rod Johnson has been a hypocrite his entire career. There is new CNN reporting this morning on a major escalation in Russia's war on Ukraine, an escalation that could change the course of this conflict. CNN is learning that Iran is preparing to send 1,000 new weapons to Moscow, a move that is getting the West's attention. The shipment includes ballistic missiles and more attack drones. Our chief international correspondent is Clarissa Ward, and she is live in Ukraine for us. Clarissa, good morning to you. This will and probably will change the trajectory of this war. Well, certainly, Don, many here are very anxious about the impact of particularly those missiles. And I want to give you a sense of what it looks like when you have a missile strike here in Ukraine. This was a residential apartment building. It was hit by a cruise missile just about three weeks ago. Three people were killed. Another seven people were injured. No clear target here. Very hard to understand why on earth you would bomb an area with ordinary people living in a simple apartment building. But that's why potentially the development of these Iranian weapons could be very significant indeed. I should say we don't yet have a timeline uh, on when they might arrive here. It's not just missiles, it's drones. You've seen how those drones have wreaked havoc in the last month, particularly on civilian infrastructure. And just yesterday, Don, more than 50 missiles aimed at Ukraine, Ukrainian uh, Air Force saying that they were able to intercept more than 40 of them, which is very significant, but it only takes a few, Don, to get in, hit their targets, and cripple civilian infrastructure. You, you keep mentioning infrastructure, um, Clarissa. Vladimir Putin suggested that recent shelling on critical infrastructure was, and I quote here, not all Russians could do. What do you think he is implying here? Well, I think you always have to take things a little bit uh, in the context of Vladimir Putin is always trying to play a mind game here, right? He's trying to intimidate. He's trying to threaten. He's trying to deflect from the fact that actually Russia has suffered some pretty humiliating defeats on the battlefield and is facing kind of an uphill battle 
when it comes to maintaining control of some of the areas that they have. But there's no question that Ukraine is really struggling to keep up with these attacks on the electric plants, on the water pump plants, on the hydroelectric dams. We have rolling blackouts across the country yesterday, hundreds of thousands without power. The children's hospital here in Zaporizhia was running on backup power. That is clearly not a sustainable situation, which is why you see Ukrainian officials appealing for more materials to try to build back the grid and keep up with this wave of attacks, but also appealing for more air defense systems to try to stop them from happening in the first place. Clarissa, thank you. You can see, I mean, look where Clarissa is right now. It is just decimated. Uh, much of Ukraine looks exactly like where Clarissa is. Clarissa, again, our thanks to you. Please be safe. Thanks, Clarissa. So Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney is set to stump for a Democrat. That Democrat, Congresswoman Lissa Slotkin. She joins us next. Also, our Omar Jimenez is standing by in, Was in Wisconsin, I should say, far from Washington. But a race he's following could certainly shape the Senate. For almost 40 years now, um, I've been voting Republican. I don't know that I have ever voted for a Democrat. As Republicans, there have to be consequences, and, and we have to make sure that people understand that we're going to vote for those that we can trust and depend on to do the right thing and to uphold their oath. That was Liz Cheney last month calling on Republican voters to reject candidates who spread lies about elections. And now in the final days before the midterms, she is not stumping for the Republican candidate in Michigan's 7th District, Tom Barrett who said he had, quote, a legitimate concern about how the 2020 election was conducted. Instead, you are going to see Cheney campaigning with his Democratic opponent, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. Congresswoman Slotkin joins us now. Uh, our first question, I think, is did you ask Liz Cheney to come and campaign with you or did she ask you if she could come and campaign? And good morning, by the way. <laughs> and good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Congrats on your new your new show. Thank um, you. No, you know, she came up to me on the, the floor of the House um, in our last voting week in, in September. And she just um, uh, just said, you know, look, if there's anything I can do to help you, just let me know. And and I said, Really? And, and she said, yeah. And that began the conversation. So I'm, I'm appreciative because it's, again, just another sort of, um, you know, point of bravery um, that's that I think I really admire about her. And what do you think makes her an effective surrogate for you? You're, you're a vulnerable Democrat in one of the most competitive swing districts in the elections. It's happening a week from today. You know, what makes her an effective surrogate for you? Well, I mean, I think for me, you know, it is a Republican-leaning district, um, and uh, but I, I still really believe in people, and I really believe that even if they don't agree with everything um, that I believe in, that they want leaders with integrity and they want leaders who demonstrate leadership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Liz has done that, and I think that she's done that effectively. And look, I mean, the last time that that um, she was doing media in my media market, she was she was disagreeing with me vehemently on yeah. a point of policy, January yep. of 2020. And but we agree on one really big thing, and that's that there has to be uh, our, a democratic system in order yeah. for our system to function. So, you know, it's pretty important to me. I think that's such an important point, because when I heard that this was happening, I thought, wow, like they are really at sort of different ends of the spectrum on so many key issues on abortion, on yeah. Obamacare, on immigration. She has a very conservative voting record. Right. But 
I wonder what you think that says that she'll be with you on the trail tonight about where you place the importance of upholding democracy really above all else. And you can disagree on really significant policy issues, but come together to uphold democracy. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, the history of Democrats and Republicans is vociferous debate about <laughs> yeah. policy, right? Really going back and forth. Um, and that's my dream, right? Is that we're we're in a system where we're pushing and pulling on each other about the role of government in our lives. That is as American as apple pie and George Washington. But if we don't have a democracy and if each side just says, well, if the other guy wins, I don't believe in our system, it's going to crumble, right? It's not going to work. And so while we disagree and I look forward to debating her in the future on issues of policy, on democracy, we are in vehement mm. agreement. Mm. Oh, yeah. All you, Dave. <laughs> All you. I, listen, I, I just want to ask you, you know, about Liz Cheney is probably, I, I think she, Democrats probably like her now a lot more than um, Republicans. Do you point. actually think that she could possibly, do you think that she could possibly help you or hurt you on the campaign trail? Because for, she's sort of toxic for Republicans, to Republicans. Yeah, you know, I think that I've been asked this before. Um, uh, first of all, I, I think we have to sort of be honest with ourselves that there are things that are more important than any one person winning an election. And my race is going to be a nail biter. I've known that from the beginning. It always is. Um, and I'm comfortable. If the people of my district say that I'm not the right person, then mm. so be it. Mm. But there has to be something that's more important than just getting reelected. And I think that leadership, principled leadership mm -hmm. in this country is vital if we're going to get through what whatever we are going through right now, right. this period of instability. Um, so I'm willing to take that risk because I think it's important to mm. highlight people who are brave in, a, in a, an environment where there's so few real leaders standing up. That's number one. Number two, you know, we're going to have other people speaking today um, at the event, Republicans who are voting for me and have them explain their case. And I think they represent mm. a lot of people in this district, like my dad, right, who is a lifelong Republican, but who feels like the party has just gone off on the wrong track. And it's those people I'm speaking yeah. to, moderate Republicans, independents, people who know that this kind of toxic anger that people are throwing back and forth in the political realm is not good for our country, and they want leaders who try and rise above that. But let me just follow up with that, because here's the thing that uh, the criticism for Democrats is that Democrats aren't, they, they, they don't have the fight that Republicans have. And politics, at the end of the day, is all about winning. If you win, then you get your point across, you get to enact laws, you get legislation. The whole point is to win. People may think that, well, you don't have the fight because you're saying, hey, look, I, you know, they may think you're saying, I don't really want to win because of the answer that you just gave it, gave the American people on this show. Well, look, I mean, I, this is going to be my third tough election. I think I've demonstrated more than, frankly, a lot of like true blue Democrats in places like the East Coast or the West Coast that I not, not only do I have the fight in me, but I actually win in tough races, right? This isn't a primary. This is a general election. Um, we have the House majority right now by four or five seats, and I'm one of those seats. So I think I've demonstrated a capacity to fight and a capacity to win. But that doesn't mean that I envision a country where we just get as sick and as 
as twisted as some of the things that are coming out from the other side. Mm -hmm. um, I refuse to do that. And I refuse to believe that somehow we can't ever, like we're gonna split into red America and blue America in a place like Michigan, that doesn't work in our yeah. own families, in our own neighborhoods. Um, so I want the Republican Party to fix themselves. I can't fix them, right? What I can do is win at the ballot box in a week. Um, and that is what I am trying to do. And, and uh, as someone who's a former CIA officer and a Pentagon official who did three tours in Iraq alongside the military, I would put my willingness to fight and my spine against anyone running in any of these blue, blue states. Well, that's how you sell it. I mean, that was, that's a pretty good answer. That's a pretty good answer. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, thank you so much for joining us on our first show. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Congresswoman. All right. This morning in Wisconsin, the Senate race is heating up. Republican Senator Ron Johnson and his Democratic challenger Mandela Barnes now speaking to CNN as issues like abortion and crime keep this race very close. Our colleague Omar Jimenez is on the ground in Milwaukee with more. You had a chance to talk to both of them to ask him the key questions. What did they say? I did. And you can really feel the stakes of this election. Hard to believe we are a week out at this point, but you can feel it in the air. You definitely can't avoid it. Nearly $100 million spent on ads total since Labor Day. But it's why both of these candidates are in respective RV and bus tours on the hunt for something much more valuable than ads. Hey, how are you doing? It's the time of year when handshakes and cheers. Thank you. Thank you need to become votes in Wisconsin. You want us to vote for Mandela? The hotly contested race between two-term Republican Senator Ron Johnson and Democratic Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes could determine control of the U.S. Senate. These people need to be stopped. They need to be defeated. The sharp rhetoric, a reflection of the elevated stakes. Senator Johnson, you said Mandela Barnes has turned on America. Why do you think this race is so close? Well, it's Wisconsin, first of all. I don't understand it. I don't know why you know, he has such grievances against this country. That's what this is all about. Our nation's at a precipice right now. Hey! Barnes, on a statewide RV tour, says he's campaigning to help save the country. Ron Johnson is calling you too extreme for Wisconsin. What is your reaction? To well, Ron Johnson's been a hypocrite his entire career. We're talking about the things that matter, creating good-paying jobs, rebuilding the middle class, the same middle class that gave my family opportunity. With polls showing a tight race, Barnes bringing in former President Barack Obama to fire up Democratic voters and make the case against Johnson. He's not the person who's thinking about you and knows you and sees you and he should not be your senator from Wisconsin. Both sides believe their path to victory hinges on higher turnout, especially from those who might not typically vote in midterm elections. I would almost have called myself apolitical in the past, but since Roe versus Wade got overturned, that completely changed everything for me. In conversations you're having, it brought a lot of people mm -hmm. to the forefront, you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. She voted for Trump in 2016, then Biden in 2020, and now plans to cast her ballot for Barnes. Also top of mind for voters is the economy. People's savings are being eroded by, by rising inflation rates and things, and, and we just need to get back to the basics in this country. The, the Democrats have gone way too far left for the majority of the country.
It's a perception that's being tested. Most Democrats do love this country, and they are concerned about its future. So that's what I'm saying. I'm asking them to join us. We have a chance to bring real opportunity back to Wisconsin and that we can get away from people who try to overturn an election just because they don't like the results. Those results are usually close in Wisconsin, which politically is as close to the state's identity as cheese curds and beer. God bless America. Get out there and fight hard. Let's work. Well, we know that cheese curds are very important in Wisconsin and across the Midwest, so that ranks it very high. But in all seriousness, I mean, we heard uh, in that piece that one voter held abortion as her top voting priority. What did you find, talking to folks on the ground, was the top issue troubling a lot of these voters? Is it that or is it the economy? Well, we definitely heard a lot on abortion, but it really was the economy. People concerned about how much they're paying for gas, groceries, the true kitchen table test of being able to put food on the table. And it matched up with what we saw in a recent CNN poll where it went the economy followed by abortion and then election integrity, which we heard a lot from on voters, uh, a lot from voters as well. Now, another thing both of these candidates mentioned and are pushing for higher voter turnout. That's what they think the ticket is here. And when you look at that, we are already almost 20 percent more when it comes to absentee ballots returned than we were at this point in 2018. So that enthusiasm seems to be there, especially for a midterms race. And as I mentioned, look, close elections here in Wisconsin these days are as Wisconsin as cheese, curds and beer. And I have a feeling (laughs) in this next week, we're going to see a lot of it. I just didn't get to go to the Minnesota State Fair this year, oh. so I really am in we'll get you the need for a fix of cheese curds. We'll Omar, Omar, thank Omar, please you. bring her some stuff back. We've had a lot. She wants it, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Omar. Do not forget, it is one week from tonight. CNN special coverage of the midterm elections, and people are engaged. That is what you heard in Omar's reporting. We'll be up all night with you. We hope you'll be up with us, too. All right, so what exactly is being launched into space this morning? Mm. There it is. More on this classified Space Force mission. But we can't figure out how classified because we can see it. We'll talk more (laughs) about that ahead. Also, there is talk of criminal charges this morning after that post-game ambush that happened at the Michigan and Michigan State State football game. An apology will not get the job done in this instance. Uh, There should be serious consequences. Uh, for the the many individuals that are culpable. Welcome back, everyone, to CNN This Morning. And this morning, the former Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, attempting to make a comeback in the country's unprecedented fifth election in less than four years. And when asked about international fears that a future coalition government under him would be, and I quote here, too far right. He told CNN he does not want the, quote, Muslim Brotherhood in government. Hadass Gol, live for us in Jerusalem with more this morning. Hello, Hadass, what did he tell you? Don, we're outside of a polling station in Jerusalem. You can see the posters here of the different candidates trying to convince people in the last minute to vote for them. But this election, the unprecedented fifth time in three and a half years that Israelis are going to the polls, is not just a referendum on Benjamin Netanyahu, who faces an ongoing corruption trial and whether he will come back to power, but it's also a question of whether the far right of Israeli politics will have power in this new coalition government. Because in order to form a governing coalition, Benjamin Netanyahu will likely need 
continue to rely on the growing popularity of a far-right group, one of whose leaders was once convicted for inciting racism. I asked him about that uh, just a few hours ago when he came to vote. Take a listen. We don't want uh, a, a government with the Muslim Brotherhood who uh, support terrorists and deny the existence of Israel and are pretty hostile to the United States, too. That's what we're going to bring up. Now, poll, now, polls show that Netanyahu does have the most likely possibility of a forming a government. But, of course, this all comes down to voter turnout, whose voters actually come out to vote. And so far, Don, this year, the turnout is the highest it's been since 1999. Don. Mm. Alice Gold joining us from Jerusalem. Thank you, Adas. Appreciate that. Still ahead here on CNN this morning, a fact check of conspiracies surrounding the brutal attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. And CNN is on the Mississippi River as a record drought is bringing the water there to a historic low. As far as water levels go, this is as worse as you've ever seen. This is about as low as I've seen it. Republicans need to speak up, otherwise somebody's going to get killed. That is, that could be a true statement. Uh, and sad. I think more Republicans do need to speak up. We're going to get to that. Good morning, everyone. Don Lemon here. It's not 10 o'clock at night. It is 8 <laughs> o'clock People are in checking the their watches and right here now. here I am. Poppy Harlow, Caitlin Collins. It is November 1st, and welcome to CNN This Morning. Uh, third hour, this is the, I'm going to call, start calling this, this the, the stretch power, hour? <laughs> the power hour, power hour, the seventh inning stretch, so to speak. We are so glad everyone's with us this morning. Yeah. I'm so glad to be next to you, too. Yeah, it's agree. going, it goes quick, right? It's already eight o'clock. No. <laughs> <laughs> speak for yourself. I did two hours and now it's three, but I'm so glad to be here with you guys because you guys, I mean, I think we all help. Uh, each other, make each other better, and we yep. hope we make you better at home. There's a lot to get to this morning, so welcome to the program. We're going to give you some news now, including these baseless conspiracy theories that are circulating about the attack on Paul Pelosi. We're going to debunk them one by one in a sin and fact check. That is coming up shortly. Midterm elections, we are one week exactly away, but a lot of votes already cast in early voting. Republican leaders gaining confidence that this is going to cut their way. Republican Governor Kristen Nunu of New Hampshire running for re-election. He'll join us this hour to talk about his party's prospects. And another big question is, what are NASA and SpaceX up to today? The classified mission that is set to be underway very soon. We'll tell you more. Yeah. We're going to get to our lead story now. We're going to begin with the spread of misinformation about the attack on Paul Pelosi, the House Speaker's husband. Some of the loudest voices on the internet have been pushing some of these baseless conspiracy theories to millions of their followers on social media. But new revelations from the San Francisco District Attorney put those conspiracy theories to rest. Yes, it appears as though this was based on his statements um, and comments that were made in that house during his encounter with Mr. Pelosi that this was politically motivated. So joining us now to separate the fact from the fiction is CNN reporter and fact checker, Mr. Daniel Dale. Good morning, Daniel. Thank you. This is a very important story because there are tons of conspiracy theories out there. Please, what did you find in your fact check? 
Don, it's rare you see a conspiracy theory debunk this definitively this fast. The central claim of the conspiracy theory that's been circulated by Elon Musk and others online is that Paul Pelosi had invited the attacker into his home, that they had some sort of salacious relationship that went bad. But that is complete fiction, according to local and federal law enforcement. And the official FBI complaint says, according to the attacker himself, the FBI says in that document that the attacker himself told police in a recorded interview that he broke into the Pelosi home by breaking a glass door using a hammer, that he surprised Mr. Pelosi, told Mr. Pelosi to wake up. The complaint says Pelosi told 911, later a police officer, he didn't know the man. And here's what San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott told CNN yesterday. There is absolutely no evidence that Mr. Pelosi knew this man. As a matter of fact, the evidence indicates the exact opposite. The exact opposite is what he said. Daniel, some right-wing figures, including actually elected people in important office, like the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, have been promoting this claim that the attacker was found by police in his underwear. It's not true. Uh, where did that come from? So, Poppy, this came from a report from a local TV station, a Fox affiliate, except that TV station retracted the claim, issued a correction, saying pretty plainly, it's just not true. And if that's not sufficient for people, take a look again at the <clears throat> FBI complaint. It says the cops on scene found a bunch of stuff, including a cell phone and cash, in the intruder's shorts pocket. So this man was wearing clothes. Now, this one may have been based on some vague police language early on, but the FBI complaint makes totally clear there was one hammer. People have been saying, oh, there's, it might have been two hammers. They, they both had hammers going at each other. I don't know. This, the FBI complaint says the attacker told police he brought a hammer. He used the hammer. At the time the police arrived, Mr. Pelosi had grabbed onto that hammer for obvious defensive reasons, and then he was hit with it. Yeah, and Daniel, you know, you've seen these efforts to distance this attack from people on the political right. What do we know about David DePap's potential motives? What have the investigators on this case said about that? So again, I think we should, you know, take it from this man himself. The FBI says in the complaint, the attacker himself told police that he broke into the Pelosi home over his animosity toward the Democratic Party, that his aim was to hold Speaker Nancy Pelosi hostage because he viewed her as the leader of a pack of Democratic liars, that he was thinking about breaking her kneecaps as a message to other members of Congress. We also know that he'd been promoting right-wing conspiracy theories online. Now, look, these are allegations from the feds, from local cops. We know that this man has, shall we say, a curious history, uh, dabbling in all sorts of ideas. And it's very possible there are relevant things we don't yet know about the attack, about the man involved. And I'm not saying the word of law enforcement should ever be taken as the gospel, unquestioned word. But guys, I think it's very clear. We can say confidently at this point that the conspiracy narrative is just bunk. It's just garbage. Mm -hmm. Conspiracy theories travel around the world before the truth so gets dangerous. out of bed, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Daniel Dell. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Nancy Pelosi's Democratic colleague and friend says the escalating rhetoric uh, by some on the right is to blame for many of these dangerous conspiracy theories. Listen to this. This is something that has gone, that is truly out of control. And um, I don't even know if lowering the rhetoric is enough. It is an incredible cancer that if we don't start holding them accountable for their words, then we're going to see more of this. And it, may, it sends shivers up and down my spot. That was Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Spear of California. So let's go to our colleague Manu Raju for more on the political fallout. He is on the campaign trail today in Las Vegas. Good morning, Manu. 
Good morning. Yeah, the political fallout among Republicans. You've seen them divided over how to respond here. Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader on the Senate side, was quick to condemn the attack at the Pelosi household, calling it horrifying. But others likened it to other political attacks, other violent attacks against Republicans. Then you have seen some push those baseless conspiracy theories with no fallout whatsoever. This all comes as Nancy Pelosi, of course, has been absolutely demonized by Republicans for the better part of the past two decades in the Republicans' quest to battle over the House and certainly the fight right now to take back power in the House. Uh, but the other big fallout and the big question here among the members themselves and question that they're confronting is the security situation that they face on the campaign trail and also out in public. As we know, that only the leadership is the ones who are who receive the security detail that Nancy Pelosi had, but it does not extend to rank and file members, and it certainly does not extend to family members themselves. So as we look at how the political landscape uh, may be affected by this, members themselves are assessing their own personal safety. And right now, there is a review among law enforcement agencies within the United States Senate and the House to determine exactly whether to change the security protocol right. for these members as we are seeing these threats of violence escalate. Also, Manu, while we have you, I mean, it, it seems like President Obama is working overtime, although not in office, trying to make sure Democrats hold seats and gain seats. He's back on the campaign trail where you are in Nevada today. How much of a difference do you think he can make in the final push, the final week? Well, that is really the big question here. I mean, there really have not been that many surrogates, Democratic surrogates on the campaign trail. President Biden, for one, has not been out on the campaign trail. We have seen Barack Obama is really the biggest one here. And this is such a significant race. Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democratic incumbent, first-term senator going against Republican, the former attorney general, Adam Laxalt, in a race that poll after poll has shown is essentially a dead heat. Republicans stand a serious chance of picking up this seat. More than $100 million has been spent on the air alone in this state between uh, Labor Day and until now. And what Catherine Cortez Masso told our colleague Ali Zaslov yesterday is that what she hopes is that Barack Obama will help juice Democratic turnout. Listen. What do you hope that former President Obama brings tomorrow to help you in your final days in this campaign? Listen, we're going to have a number of people coming in to help to get out the vote, and uh, they are absolutely welcome. My focus are non-Nevadans and getting out and talking to Nevadans and talking about the importance of voting and turning out uh, those voters. And just looking at the calendar, you see how busy things have been for Barack Obama. He's been to Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin. He will be in, of course, Nevada later today and then yeah. Arizona and Pennsylvania. All those key states with those key Senate races, Barack Obama trying to make the difference. Yeah, he seems to be enjoying some of his campaign stops and bringing a lot. Of, I mean, you can speak you a lot more fine. freely. You're still fine. That <laughs> happened. That happened. Manu, <laughs> thank you. That was the clip of the weekend. Thank you, Manu. Thanks, Manu. In Vegas. So for more on all of this, we want to bring in New Hampshire's Republican Governor Chris Sununu, who is up for re-election. Governor Sununu, thank you so much for joining us on our first show. I want to start, though, with, you know, I, I know you've been talking about inflation and how you believe that is such an important factor and how voters in your state are making a decision in this election. But I want to start with what's happening with House Speaker Pelosi and this attack on her husband. I know you've said that your, your sympathies are certainly with them. There was this moment, though, last night with the Republican candidate for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake, when she weighed in on what happened to Speaker Pelosi. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. 
They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. What's your response to not just what Carrie Lake said, but also the laughter from the crown, from the moderator? Yeah, look, I would just say anyone who's not taking what happened uh, to Speaker Pelosi and her husband extremely seriously, uh, with all the sympathy, with sympathies that it deserves, um, it, it, there's just no place for it. I mean, this is serious. You know, us as po political figures, if you will, candidates, if you will, we're out there, we can talk about issues, we can defend ourselves. Most of our families didn't ask for this. Uh, and the political rhetoric, as we know, over the past few years has just been really escalated. Lines have been crossed, new lines have been drawn inappropriately. Um, and, and it's scary. It's a, it's a very scary thing at a very scary time. So obviously, you know, this isn't an isolated incident, unfortunately, right? We had the shooting of Steve Scalise. We had Gabby yeah. Giffords. We had the, the assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, these lines are moving on both sides. This isn't just one party or the other. This is a cultural phenomenon that is, is not good for America. It's one of the bigger crises I think we're seeing in that folks think that that certain things are appropriate when they when they really aren't. And we have to take it seriously. Listen, I think it, look, I, I, you're right that the, it is escalating, but I think it's unfair to say on both sides. This is not the same on the Democratic side as it is on the Republican side, especially when you consider you said that it has been escalated over the last couple of years. That is a direct contribution from the former president, uh, you know, about you know, treating people harshly and, and, the, and the, the, his language around violence. And then an attack on the Capitol, an assault on our Capitol, and then encouraging people to, to, towards violence. So listen, I, you can say, you know, it's the sort of both sides, but really, Republicans aren't speaking out, for the most part, uh, in, in a vehement way. You have, you know, you've, you've got uh, Senator Mitch McConnell who spoke out, you have Kevin McCarthy who spoke out, but for the most part, we're silence, very muted from Republicans about what is happening with violence. And, and Don Jr. tweeting horrific things. Why don't people... Get in front of cameras more Republicans and say, this is awful. This should not happen. This is what Republicans shouldn't be doing. I don't want my party defined by this BS. Why doesn't that happen? Well, look, I, I think look, I think you're absolutely right. As as leaders, uh, with whether you're a governor or a president or or uh, an elected official in Washington, everyone should be speaking out about the horrific actions of what happened. <clears throat> but again, the the Steve Scalise shooting a few years ago, Justice Kavanaugh was almost assassinated outside of his home just a few months ago. So uh, there is danger on yeah. both sides. Governor, no, no governor, one is I don't disagree with you, but I mean, let me really let me not. tell you the difference here. When it is on the Democratic side and it does happen. People say it is wrong, it should not happen, and they denounce it. Democratic leaders come out and they do it immediately. Republicans don't do that. Are they afraid of Don Jr.? Are they afraid of Donald Trump? Are they afraid to come out that they're going to lose votes? I'm just being honest, and that is the truth. Go back and look yeah. at the evidence. So it's not the same thing. Yeah, look, I... Yeah, well, look, I'll, look, I'm here telling you, as, as, a, as one of the leaders of the Republican Party, you denounce it full-heartedly, of course. And I think a lot of folks have. I get, I totally get it. And, and you know, what, whatever the issue and the action of the day is, unfortunately, this week, uh, it happened to, to uh, Speaker Pelosi and her husband and her family. Uh, that's real. And does that mean it's going to stop today? Probably not, unfortunately, right? It, it's going to potentially continue. And so as a whole... The media, the social media, elected officials, everyone within so, their community needs to bring that temperature down. Governor, th thank you again for joining us for this really important conversation this morning. And you're right, uh, especially you mentioned elected officials, right? We know that this suspect, we know that DePap posted, mentioned many times conspiracy theories, including about the 2020 election. You are supporting, you are going to vote 
for the Republican nominee for Senate in the state of New Hampshire, Don Boldick, who keeps denying the results of the 2020 election. He did it again a few weeks ago and said, I can't say whether it was stolen or not. He is perpetuating lies that are dangerous, that become these conspiracy theories. How do you square the two? I mean, this is a guy who called you a conspiracy theory extremist. Why is he worthy of your vote? Yeah, so look, at the end of the day, obviously the election was not stolen and, and the vast majority of people but he understand keeps that. Saying I think it the, could the have general has, has, has acknowledged that. No, he... Yeah, so look, three I think weeks the general ago, has acknowledged he came that. Out, when, three when it weeks comes ago, to, he came out and questioned it again. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what I'm saying is when it comes down to voting for an individual... Voters, whether as a citizen, me or the 1.4 million other people here in the state of New Hampshire, they're going to go cast the vote on a variety of issues. And because we might disagree on what happened in 2020, our folks are focusing on, you know, the, the conspiracy theories around the 2020 election. At the end of the day, the vast majority of voters, especially those independent voters that are still haven't made up their mind, they're voting on inflation. They're voting on the cost of goods. They're voting on not being able to make their mortgage or find housing. Those are things that are drastically impacting their family today that have been driven by very bad policies out of Washington, D.C. on the Democrat side. And so therefore, not just myself, so, but I think a lot of other folks will be voting for Republicans come November. It's not just a one issue. You can't just say, well, based on that one issue, we vehemently disagree. So therefore, we shouldn't be shouldn't be casting our vote. I don't think anybody should be a one issue voter, regardless of the issue. But essentially, you're arguing that what you're hearing from voters in your state is that what they're paying at the supermarket, at the gas station is more important to them. And that's what's factoring into their vote. You know, you're supporting Don Bolduc, the Republican that Poppy was just mentioning there in this race. If if he is elected, you know, are you confident that if he goes to Washington, that Republicans are going to have a plan to fix inflation? Because that's kind of been the pushback we've heard from Democrats, from the White House, as they say, you know, Republicans keep talking about inflation but they're not so sure that they have a plan to fix it. Do you think that they do? Well, one thing I'm really confident of is if you send, if you send the same people back to Washington, you ain't gonna get a different result, not even close. So the fact that you have folks that wanna step up that aren't polit typical politicians that wanna come down, that uh, the general, look, he's a war hero. He served his country. He's uh, worked with it, it, issues of mental health at, at a level unseen in this country. And th those are very important issues. And he wants to mix things up and he's gonna go down to Washington and do that. And again, you can't say that just by electing the same old Democrats, you're gonna get a different result. We want different results across this country. And the only way to do that is to bring a different system. Governor Chris Sununu, we love having you on the program. We hope you join us back. We really appreciate you uh, taking time to answer these really important questions from us this morning. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, you governor. governor. On our maiden voyage. So we're glad the governor could join us. And we're glad he took, he took came here and he took the tough questions. So we yeah. really appreciate it. And he is up for re-election, yeah. obviously, himself. He's got a big race. Don't forget, it is one week from tonight. We're going to be talking about his race, these other Senate races in New Hampshire, CNN's Special coverage of the midterm elections will start at 4 p.m. that afternoon. We will be going all night with the three of us. You'll see us uh, bringing in those results <laughs> all night, <laughs> all, night all morning, yeah. all night, Details all morning. Details to come. We'll explain what we mean by that <laughs> a little bit later. SpaceX, though, hoping to recreate this successful launch in just a few hours. This time, though, the Falcon Heavy rocket will head to space for another mission for the U.S. Space Force. So joining us now, CNN Space and Defense correspondent Christian Fisher. Christian. Good morning. Good to see you. So what, what can you tell us about this? What's going on? And it's, it's apparently some sort of secret classified mission here? 
Good morning. Yeah, guys, so it's it's tough to hide a rocket this big <laughs> launching, right? I mean, everybody up and down the Florida Space Coast is going to see it. It's the most powerful rocket currently in operation today. What is being kept secret and what is the mystery here is the classified payloads, the things that are inside this rocket. Those are coming from the U.S. military, the U.S. Space Force. This rocket, the Falcon Heavy, is going to be launching it into an orbit called geosynchronous orbit, which is much further than low Earth orbit where most satellites are placed. And so this is a big deal because, yes, it's a uh, a, a secret mission for the U.S. Space Force, but it's also just really cool to watch because, guys, this rocket has not launched in since 2019. It's only launched three times before. Uh, this will be its fourth launch. And if you are anywhere near the Kennedy Space Center at 9.41 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, this is one of those launches that you want to just go outside and look up in the sky because there is nothing else like this flying today. With that said, uh, NASA's trying to launch an even more powerful rocket a little bit later this month, but what you're gonna get with the Falcon Heavy landing, guys, it's not just a rocket launch, you're also going to get two rockets landing. They're going to try to bring two of the boosters back and land them almost simultaneously uh, at Cape Canaveral. So you get a launch, you get two rocket landings and two sonic booms that come with that. The Space Force putting out warnings up and down uh, the Florida coast that if you hear two big booms, don't worry. It's just the sonic <laughs> boom. So it's a good launch to go that. see if you can. Yeah. <laughs> a good heads Listen, up. Kind of puts a, this. A, thank you, Christian. We appreciate it. Kind of puts into perspective what we do because this is not rocket science, but that actually, <laughs> that is, actually is rocket science. The climate crisis, though, causing droughts all across America and pushing the Mississippi River to its lowest levels on record. How that will impact your wallet. That's next. Bill Weir. There he is live in my hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, coming up after the break. So I saw this firsthand when I was home in Minnesota a few weeks ago, this relentless drought, not just across Minnesota, across so much of the heartland, pushing the Mississippi River to some of its lowest water levels on record and creating a shipping crisis. It's going to affect how much you pay for groceries. Our chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, reports. To navigate this river in the Old South, a man would stand on the prow of a steamship and bounce a lead weight on a knotted string off the bottom. If it was a safe 12 feet deep, he'd shout, Mark Twain. Samuel Clemens made that his pen name, of course. But if he wrote about this river today, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn would spend a lot of time walking on the beach because in too many places, the not-so-mighty Mississippi is a fraction of a twain. Uh, we're going to look at a few old steamboats, steamboat wrecks. Mark Twain-era steamboats? Uh, yeah. And the relentless drought across the heartland is exposing all kinds of memories. It may have caught on fire or sank 50 miles upstream and floated here during floods. As far as water levels go, this is as worse as you've ever seen. This is about as low as I've seen it. From the Missouri down to New Orleans, accidental archaeologists are finding steamboat graveyards and human remains, Civil War ammo and forgotten shipwrecks. One of the more striking yardsticks is here in Baton Rouge. This is the USS Kidd, a World War II 
destroyer. And on a good year, the Mississippi comes to that first rust stripe, about 25 feet above my head right now. And these water levels are so low, creating such a catastrophic shipping crisis that this is gonna affect your grocery bill. It's the price of moving. A bushel of soybeans went up 300%, and there are thousands of barges full of food, and all they can do is just wait and pray for rain. And if they can't get rain, they pray for help. We've got a, a difficult stretch of river. From the Army Corps of Engineers. With billions of dollars on the line, they cut channels as fast as they can with working antiques like the Dredge Potter, built in 1932, but still a workhorse in an endless fight with the river in every kind of weather. You're a professional riverbed redecorator. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll move this over here. That's right. Put that over there. As long as we can keep barges moving and keep commodity prices down, we're we're all in good shape. That's your that's your mission. It's impressive to see up front. Andy, you know the old Miss better than most, huh? You've been doing this a while. 34 years. <laughs> and how would you characterize what's going on these days? It is a concern, a heightened concern. Um, I don't know that I would call it a panic yet, uh, but we are watching the water levels very closely on an almost an hourly basis. Is it the kind of thing where if this goes on, you can dredge around the problem? Uh, to a point. In 1989 and then again in uh, 2012, we got to an area where the to a level where the channel was almost unsustainable. So we had numerous dredges working and there was very little commerce going through. And ultimately, what saved the day was rain. And these days, when you wish for rain, you have to specify not all at once. The Midwest is still recovering from summer flash floods. And if the water cycle whiplashes again, hard rain on parched earth would be another blow to farmers already struggling to move their harvest. Fewer and lighter barges on the river means more expensive trains and trucks, putting more planet-cooking pollution into Earth's system which scientists continue to warn will only make droughts and floods and the related crises more extreme. And on a connected planet where one in eight humans eat something that was moved down the Mississippi, those hardy souls on the dredge potter are gonna need a lot more help. Normally they dredge until <clears throat> December. They're gonna go to February this year. And Don, I don't know if you remember in your years here, I had some locals tell me they remember times when they could stand under the USS Kid, but they never remember it being this extreme, this low for this long. And you can see here on the banks, the big pier and dock here in Baton Rouge that takes folks from the, the paddle wheels or the ferries into the convention center is completely worthless right now. You, you couldn't even use this. And so again, the water will come back on the Mississippi. It always does. The question is when, when, and how much of this uh, vital commerce will be choke points, guys? I got to tell you, it is jarring, especially for me to watch this, Bill, because I know exactly where you are. It used to be the Central Plex. Now it's a convention center. And then the old state capital is there. I remember when that USS Kid was, I think they put it in as a um, memorial there, what, ha what have you. I think it was back in the 80s, like 1982. And I remember going there as a kid right. and, and watching it. And just behind you, on the other side of the river, that is my hometown, straight across that river uh, that you're looking at. I've never, ever seen the river 
this low in my entire you wouldn't uh, recognize you know it. years I won't say on this planet it is yeah. it's gonna be weird for you to shocking see that. shocking yeah it really is and the and the really shocking thing is it could get lower between now and Thanksgiving wow. uh, so again I can't put it apart we got guys on 1932 dredges trying to keep up with this river and this is the beginning of a climate crisis where we have to yes. rethink coastal infrastructure for yeah. sea level and now inland infrastructure for droughts like this yeah. got to talk about this more guys you have <laughs> been here. well look you've been ringing the alarm bells on this for years and years and years and years and showing us and warning us and now it <laughs> accelerates bill where we appreciate you being there always thank you friend thanks bill yeah. All right, Michigan State has suspended four players who were involved in that post-football game brawl. But Michigan's coach, Jim Harbaugh, says he wants criminal and expects there to be criminal charges. And Pfizer announcing a major development after promising results for an RSV vaccine. We're back in a moment. Great news. So we have this, it's new this morning. Pfizer says that it will seek FDA approval for its RSV vaccine by the end of this year. Pfizer says that the vaccine is administered to pregnant women uh, who can then produce antibodies and pass them on to their babies. Now, the study found that after birth, the vaccine was 82% effective at preventing severe lower respiratory tract infections in hospitalized babies for the first three months of life and about 70% effective at preventing severe RSV in hospitalized babies for six months. Pediatric hospitals across the country say beds are filling up fast with infected children. Yeah, big concern for parents. Meanwhile, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh says he expects the four Michigan State players who were suspended after they appeared to assault his players to potentially face criminal charges. New video appears to show one of the players from Michigan State swinging his helmet in the tunnels, you can see the violence that broke out after their game. Coach Harborough says the suspensions are not enough, not even close in his view. Uh, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be a full, thorough, timely investigation. I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. The videos are, uh, are, uh, are bad. And um, it's clear what, what transpired. It seems uh, very, very open and shut. You know, as they say, uh, watch the tape. An apology will not get the job done in this instance. Uh, there should be serious consequences uh, for the, the many individuals that are culpable. Obviously, two of the Michigan players were injured in that uh, violence that broke out. The attorney for Jemin Green, who is one of the players who suffered a concussion, told, quote, told us, quote, they have every intention of pressing criminal charges against those persons who are responsible for this vicious assault, I mean, it's just, obviously I'm a huge college football fan, but it's just unacceptable to see what happened. Yeah. Unnecessary, uncalled for, and there's no excuse for it. Yeah. The political discourse in America, speaking of no excuse for this, sinking to new lows. Are calls for civility futile? We're going to take a closer look. That's next. We also, we're going to have some fun this morning. Why not on day one? We have a little surprise coming up that you will not want to miss. Stick around. Who is it? Yes. Who is it? You got to guess who it is. Not (laughs) LZ. Oh, boy.
sir, sir, this is this is what I'm saying. Look, we we got we got a there is a process that we set up in our democracy. Right now, I'm talking. You'll have a chance to talk sometime. This is part of the point that I want to make. Just basic civility and courtesy works, and that's what we want to try to encourage. Uh, that was like a champ. <laughs> the former president. Did you Barack see Whitmer's Obama. face during I mean, that? She's <laughs> just sitting there watching it all. That's how you handle it. I mean, that was on the campaign trail in Michigan calling for basic civility. But is that call too late for America? We need to go back to that. I mean, people talk about, you know, when when John McCain did his thing or what have you. That's how mm -hmm. you handle mm -hmm. hecklers and disinformation. We don't do that anymore. Joining us now. Elsie Granderson is a columnist for the L.A. Times. His latest column asks if we are part if we're past, I should say, the point of civility. Also, my friend and our friend, friend of the show, show here. I was joking. I was like, Elsie, we, we never get to talk to each other. <laughs> we talk every like, day. I've, like tw at least 15, 20 times Congratulations. This looks amazing, you guys. Good. Happy first day. Thank and you guess for what? Coming. This is not even our permanent set. Wait till you see our new home. Oh. Set in the bar high. Yeah. I hope I can come back. Elsie, <laughs> let's talk about this. You, you, you have a new column that is going to uh, drop this morning for the L.A. Times. But everyone goes back to that, you know, when they go low, we go high. Is that from the former first lady, Michelle Obama? Is that realistic in this moment? You know, that's what I was trying to explore in this piece, right? Like, I want to still believe in that higher calling, right? But as we're still reaching for the higher calling, the people who are reaching for the lower callings are getting things done, yeah. right? <laughs> like the Supreme Court situation. And they're the loudest voices. Lower, and they're the loudest voices, right? And there comes a point, and I've you know, spoken to a lot of voters, I've spoken to a lot of grassroots leaders over the years, and they're beginning to get more and more frustrated with playing nice with Republicans, uh, with did conservatives. You, did you see my, my conversation with Alyssa Slotkin earlier? Because yeah. I just said, listen, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what, I understand what she's saying, but I wanted to be clear about what people may be hearing about what she's saying. She's saying, you know, this win at all costs. Obviously, she's saying it is a, a bad, uh, it's bad for democracy. And I, she's right on that, that point. But when you say, you know, winning is not the most important thing, Democrats may, could be turned off by that. And they may think, like, Democrats aren't strong enough because the whole point is to win and get your legislation passed to make it better for your particular constituents. Am I wrong about that? No, no, you're not wrong. And we're in this weird transition as a nation. We're in this weird transition politically. I think we're still trying to figure out what COVID did to us culturally, if mm -hmm. you will. I know I'm interacting differently interpersonally. I'm assuming a lot of us are. I mean, when I hear a cough in a public space, it triggers me, right? Uh -huh. You you look Same. like so we're so we're still trying to process what it means to trust one another again. Mm -hmm. And so while it is true that yes, you want to try to win, you want to get your policies through and you want to do it as much as possible and sometimes that requires backroom dealings, but because we are dealing with the end hopefully of Trumpism, because we are still trying to assess what happened to us after COVID, we're not necessarily in a position culturally to trust one another that you're going to do what's best for me if you look differently or if you're in a different party or if you're a different gender or if you worship differently. And that's where we are right now. Something Obama said as he's been on the campaign, Joel, he's being very outspoken, that really stood out was he talked about birtherism and obviously the lies that were spread about him. He made a joke to Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin saying, you know, get your birth certificate ready. You're a Democrat with a funny name. But he said, remember those, those were the good old days. Basically saying that our political discourse ha has gotten so much worse even from that really ugly moment. 
It, it, it has, and it's, and it's really unfortunate. I think, you know, in 100 years or so, not going plexiglass if we're still here, <laughs> that there'll be like some PhD student that would go back and look at what went wrong yeah. during this time period. And I think one of the biggest things that went wrong was allowing that lie to breathe in spaces <laughs> where truth is supposed to reside. If you allowing the lie, you mean the birtherism lie, the birtherism yeah. lie. and also allowing the person and who the person perpetuated who, that exactly. lie to give them a platform. Right. If, if, if that person had said, you know, the earth is flat and I have documentation, I'm going to show you soon that the earth is flat. We probably would not yeah. entertain that. Right. Yeah. But we did for that purpose because it was considered harmless. Yeah. And now it isn't. Well, look at what we just had illicit Congresswoman Melissa Slotkin on, and she's going to be on the campaign trail tonight with Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney, right? Working together, even though they have many disagreements on issues. Mm -hmm. My four-year-old, Luca, working in his classroom, the teacher emailed us on partner days. They paired them with people that they have different views on things with, and they have to work together. Four years old, right? So my kids don't know yet what it's like to go into a world where if you disagree, it becomes like that for so many. And somehow that wins you points and votes in some circles, right? How do we get what we're teaching the four-year-olds to teach the people in charge? You know what's interesting about, we started this conversation about the former first ladies, when they go low, we go high. The larger part of that conversation, she was actually talking to her children yeah. about that. That's where that phrase comes from. After so, an attack on the White House. Exactly. Right. So, so, the, so what you're talking about, Poppy, is exactly that. Like, this is how you do it. You yeah. raise adults who don't need to be reminded of this yeah. by having your children go through these type of programs. I, I just sometimes yeah. think, sometimes watching our kids help, helps remind us how to live. Yeah, and the context of that, again, was when someone took shots at the residents of the White House and yeah. she was teaching her kids that just because they go right. low, you don't have to go low. Thank you, LZ. Thank you, You'll be back with us on Thursday, right? Yes, I am. On yeah. Thursday. Coming up. Coming up, we have a mystery guest that Poppy oh, and I know who it is, but guess what? Don Lemon does not, so we're going to reveal it next, and we'll make him guess who it is first. Guesses, I guesses, hate surprises. guesses. <laughs> I hate surprises. Sorry. Sorry, you're going to like this one. Oh, boy. You're going to like this one. Why not? I told you who I think it is. All right. Oh, to my help. gosh. I have a feeling we're, this we're has back. to do with me. We are back from commercial break. And to help promote this new show, we all went to a coffee shop in the best borough, Brooklyn, obviously, and mm. chatted about life, chatted about our careers. Had a lot of coffee. Talked about our family, had a lot of coffee. And... We talked about what and who inspire us. Oh, interesting. What was the moment you fell in love with journalism? I turned on the television one day and I saw Bryant Gumbel. And I was like, that is what I want to do. And I would pretend in the mirror and on my little uh, eight millimeter or later VHS that I was like, you know, anchoring a show like the Today Show. Anchoring and I would the morning say, show. Yeah, and I would say, this is Today on NBC. Okay, like, but like, now you're about to be anchoring a morning yeah. show. How cool is that? Yeah. And so, and that's when I fell in love with, like, I realized, like, just from watching those VHS tapes and that, that I could do it. What? I don't know. Right. It's just that. It's Brian Gumble. So, this is a surprise for Don. We have a special guest, the legendary. Oh my God! Really tough guess. Brian, 
I love doing? you, man. How you doing, man? Yeah, I, look, don't make me cry on my first day. Oh, you're not going to cry. Yeah, you're not going to cry. Wait, wait, wait. my chair, my friend. You get my chair. Where's your beautiful wife? Next to Don. You're right here. Where's Hillary? She's... Back at the house, relaxing. Hi, oh, Hillary. Baby. Morning. How are you? <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. It's, it's an honor to have you. Brian, All you. Don thought it What's was going to be his family. Why don't you tell me? Oh, yeah. you, you remember what you said? I had dinner with you, was it two weeks ago? Uh, yeah, I think so. Brian is celebrating his 50th anniversary in the business two weeks ago, and we sat down dinner with Brian and a bunch of friends, and you gave me advice. You said two minutes in the shower, would you say? I mean, everybody, always, everybody will always ask you what time you get up. They yeah. want to make a big deal about the sleep. And I said, there's two things that are, co- that are common to everybody. Number one is, whatever time you get up, you bitch about it. <laughs> and number two, the second you're in the shower, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? Really. Only I Brian Gumbel can say you bitch about it on. Oh. I just said And now Don Lewis can say it. <laughs> and you thought I was going to be the first one to curse on TV. Yeah. That's <laughs> not one of the seven deadly words you can't say. It's not say. one. Of, plus, right? I mean, but it's not something you should you say. You're on right. broadcast. This is cable, Brian, You know, as you know. Yeah. Brian, and you should know that. You're the host of Real Sports on HBO. But I don't use bad language on it. You don't, you don't do that. I try not to. Yeah. I was raised better than that. Yeah. It was a really special moment, though, when we were talking about what this show would look like and, and what it meant to all of us. And, yeah. and Don really did talk about how he watched you and, and envisioned himself in a similar role. Said he w- wishes he was watching something else at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't watching cartoons and yeah. said, no, I'd like to do that. No, no, no. I should have been watching, I don't know, the, the, a movie or something and become uh, a movie star. Uh, but you did... Brian, you did inspire me, and you were perfect on television. You never flubbed a word. You're, I mean, you you were great. And I, I have a different memory of it, but thank <laughs> you. I mean, I, I never walked away from one saying I couldn't have done it better. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I find a zillion things that are wrong with everything I try. Um, but I was given a good opportunity, and I, I was fortunate. I really was. What did you learn over the years, right? Like, this is day one. We have so many days ahead together. I think we're pretty darn lucky to be, like, you, the group, you guys were great together, and you were lucky to be with one another, and you all were different and added so much. We're lucky to be together. What would you learn over the years? Um, first of all, I would tell you this. I learned it incrementally. Yeah. Okay? Um, you don't learn everything in a hurry. Um, you try to learn something each day and pick up on that. Um, but I guess patience is one of them. And um, um, understanding, tolerance, civility, like Barack Obama just said. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think just trying to be yourself on a day-in, day-out basis. As you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do when everybody's watching. Don's okay with it that I come in with my color-coded folders <laughs> with sticky tabs. Do you have them with all, I've gone through yeah. all of them. I we'll was worse. I was worse. Were you? Listen to this. Yeah. I was worse. In my early, early days today program, I color-coded um, guest materials based upon what their background was. In other words, if it was politics, it was blue. <laughs> if it was um, the economy, it was green. If it was Hollywood, it was red, et cetera. Honest to God. I'm not surprised. Well, speaking of, since we're uh, in this moment, how has it changed? It, you yeah. know, we talk about civility and, and all of that. And look, I mean, politics has always been a rough and tumble yeah. sport. But has it changed? Um, yeah. Yeah, I really think it is. And not for the better. Not for the better. Not yeah. for the better. I mean, I, I do remember as I was watching you with uh, Governor Sununu. Um, I remember when Ron Brown uh, died in a plane crash in Croatia. And uh, at the time, a Republican said nothing about it. And I went on the air and I asked somebody if that was politics as usual or just plain bad manners. Mm. Um, 
and I got a reprimand from NBC, and NBC apologized, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> and so, and so I was watching that this morning. I was thinking, wow, the more this is where I get it from, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I get it from. But sorry, I'm sorry, bro. What'd you say? No, no, no. I said so. As I was watching this morning, I was thinking, wow, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Yeah, but it's not. We, you know, it, I don't like to both sides things. And listen, I'm not a neither no, Democrat a nor Republican. It's a false equivalence. What's happening now is just beyond the pale. And more people should vehemently speak out about the madness. Look at, I mean, Paul Pelosi could have died. And yeah. so every Republican should, any available microphone should be speaking out and saying this is terrible. But they're not doing it no, for the not. most part. They're not. It's unfortunate. So, yeah. 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 And so what do you think is the way to handle that? You know, when you do see, you, you see people like Governor Sununu saying he expresses sympathy with the family. He condemned the attack. But then you've got uh, another candidate for, to be a Republican governor, Carrie Lake, who's laughing about it and making jokes I about it. I saw him making, making a joke about it, and heaven knows DeSantis hasn't said anything either um, that, that I'm aware of anyway. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Um, I don't know. I don't know any way other than to call it out when you see it. Um, yeah. And, and you, would ask that, you would ask the same of anybody in any position in society. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you see something, say something. Yeah. So talk about seeing something. You got, these are the two sports... Oh, I brains know they're going to hate each other this weekend. Yes, <laughs> I know. They're going to Alabama, <laughs> LSU, 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 Alabama. And they game. asked me, they're like, Pop, you want to come and you can referee? I was like, I am refereeing my four and six-year-old at home this weekend. That is that. <laughs> but have fun. We'll bring the cameras. You'll see it on Monday, guys. But, but in all seriousness, sports, I mean, real sport, this is your wheelhouse. And we just saw, we just played for the viewers, oh, what the happened Michigan. at Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's funny that they still, it's not funny, it's sad they still do that at um, at that stadium at UM, um, they go through the same they tunnel. They go through the same tunnel. And they just had an incident, uh, I think, two weeks ago of going through that same tunnel, and, you know, cooler heads did not prevail. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's clear assault, and, and I would expect some charges. I saw, I think I read that uh, five of the kids have been suspended from the team yeah. um, during an investigation, pending an investigation. Just those are the role models but you know, so many people look This at. reminds me, one of the reasons that I did this, when we talked to you and, and other people, and they were like, it's... Um, not often do you get to do something different at the place you already work, right? And yeah. sort of and challenge yourself. But you did that with real sports. And you have, I think what you always knew, but what you get to explore is that sports, I mean, look, that, that's what really changes things in the culture. It has a big impact. It has a huge impact. So this whole idea about shut up and dribble, and that's never been the case. No, right? no. And, and you know, it's, when people ask me about real sports, um, they always say, well, I, you know, I shouldn't watch because I'm not a sports fan. I say our show is about sports like Rocky is about boxing. Right. You know, I mean, right. we, use, we use sports as a vehicle to get to mm -hmm. other stories about race, about gender, about equality, about income, you know. Um, and that's how we use sports. Whether it's 3-2, it really doesn't matter much to us. Yeah, yeah look, you look, see with I'm Kyrie sorry. Irving, with oh, yeah. what happened, oh, yeah. he was saying he wasn't going to apologize for talking about that movie that, that pushed these anti-Semitic tropes. And then you saw people seated on the court last night wearing their T-shirts about standing up to anti-Semitism. Oh, yeah. I didn't see it. I missed it. I was out Halloweening. Yeah, but, if, I mean, but look, if, if you look at what happened uh, you know, in baseball, if you look what happened in tennis yeah. with Arthur Ashe, you know, in basketball court, yeah. whatever, about social justice and civil rights, a lot that came from sports. Yeah, a lot of it comes from sports, but it, it backfires sometimes too. Like keep an eye on Georgia on Tuesday. Oh, just you saying. mean just saying? It backfires sometimes. We'll be keep up all Georgia night, on all day, all night, covering all of that. But let's get back. Let's get back to. Don. Uh, can I tell you? Get, get, this is this is 
an out-of-body experience right. <laughs> sitting here with you on this set. I mean, it's, I grew up. I know you hate that. I hate it now. I know. Kids I'm, go I'm, I'm old. old. I know. I get it. I'm old. People come up to me like, Don Lemon, I grew up watching you. I'm like, hey, I'm not that old. But I grew up watching you, Brian, wanting to be you. And here you are sitting on the set with me you, on Bill. CNN. Thank and you. I get to spend, as I said to you um, uh, at your, your anniversary, is that it is just an honor for me to even be in the, in the room with you. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. Happy for Thank you. Thank you. Happy for you. Thank you. You got any advice for me? Yeah. Be nice to these two ladies. <laughs> oh, that is not a, that is not a challenge. What did he you, is a I'm dream. Curious, what did you nice think when you, yeah. when you heard about Don getting the show? Um, I sent him a text yeah. um, right away. Um, I was surprised, but I wasn't. Um, I, I knew that, you know, while it hadn't run its course, he was interested in doing something else. Um, I didn't foresee this, um, but I told him I was here to help if he needed something. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't need anything. So are you getting to bed earlier now that you don't have to watch me? You know, um, I go to bed late. It doesn't really matter much. Um, and you I don't, don't sleep. You late. don't sleep. I'm Ryan not a sleeper. Not sleep. When I used to do this thing in the morning, I slept an average of about three hours a night. No. Why? Yeah, he did. That's what he told me. That's what yeah. he said. It and doesn't matter do in the shower. Um, probably about six. Six on a good night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six or seven. What like is that. it about your brain that? No, it's just I, I, I've, <laughs> never, I've, never been a good, I've never been a great sleeper. Yeah. It really doesn't, you know, I, I guess I'll have plenty of time to sleep when there it's all go. over and done. <laughs> Brian. Thank you. I love you, buddy. Love you too, pal. Thank all you right? very Thank much. you for coming really in for our pleasure. main guy. It's an you honor to have you. So to be with him. Thank you. Our thanks so to much. Mr. Brian Gumbel of Real Sports on HBO. Thank you very much. And thanks for watching, everyone. We're going to be back tomorrow. CNN Newsroom starts right now. We did it! We'll see if we'll be back tomorrow. (laughs) We did it. Maybe we'll be back tomorrow. We'll see. They let us. Thank you. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.